happen can be bent to your will only when you enter the fifth dimension. Who do we have in the house today? Who do we have ripping with us in the fifth dimension? None other than Nick Rose. Nick Rose, known as Nicolas Chocolat, writer, journalist, rock and roller, stellar guitar player, drummer. He can do piano player. The guy is a, uh, he can do it all. He's, there's a word. There's a word that they use for someone who can speak many languages or play many instruments. There's a specific word. Uh, polymath? Polymath. We have <laughs> in our presence a polymath. And the fact that you came up with that so quick is the reason that I'm excited that we're doing this podcast, my friend. So welcome to the Me Show podcast. Hey, Mish. Hey. How nice, are you? Nice to see you. Good. Good I, to see you too. I, uh, I haven't seen you in a long time. Well, no, I've seen you in passing. I see your car sometimes. The... Well, you're 19... our car. No, no, it's your car. <laughs> it, is... it is your car. We. It was once in my possession, now in your possession. And yeah. in this slice of bread of life, I guess it's our car. <laughs> yeah. But uh, at this juncture, is that a word? Is that the right word? Yeah. Junction. It, junction. I think my brother corrected you on exactly the same. It's the same thing? <laughs> no, because a, jun- think, a junction yeah. is a is a... Is like yeah, a, I think it is juncture. Juncture, yeah, juncture yeah. is like this stage or this phase, regardless of it. I'm no polymath. Very weird though. Is it because like our particular genes are interacting, and yours and your brothers are so close <laughs> that the same exact word comes up? Um, I don't know because I had the yeah, same. That, I'm pretty sure it was the same that same word that you guys were. I, I don't even know anymore which, which when Uncle uh, Bob was on. Same thing happened. <laughs> what? No, no, no. Okay, no. Look, I'm just going on the jeans thing, but I think uh, he doesn't know those words. Yeah. No, he just uh, looked away. No, he's a he's a, he's a brilliant man. All right, so Nick Rose, I'd like you to introduce yourself to the Galactic Federation of Time Travelers, the trillions of listeners out there in the Federation, yeah. and uh, tell them what what do you do? Who are you? How do we know each other? Just say whatever the fuck you want to say. Okay, to you or to the to. Uh, to both of us. Like, I, I call anyone listening, it's third-party vibes. Third so you're party. talking to me, you're talking okay. to them. Also, I'm Nick Rose, friend of Misha's, uh, writer, journalist type, and uh, yeah, that's... Uh, well, and you're in a band? I'm in a band called Technicolor Dreamers. I play the drums. That's a lot of fun. We used to be in a band together. Yes, back in the day. Vista Cruiser. Vista Cruiser. That, that was when you were... I would say wilder than I was. And then I went to a point where I was wilder than you. We crossed, but there was an intersection where we were both there was equally a, wild. You know, it was like an X. Yeah, but that, that was post-band. Yeah. That was post-band. And uh, then we found ourselves like in equilibrium. Yeah, now. Now we're, now we're kind of past that. Yeah. I still yeah. Ha- I have moments here and there, but uh, for the most part that... Uh, that old dog is buried. So That's like 15 years ago, right? Yeah. Like that was John Abbott days. We we were, uh, I think Mike Mangione introduced us. Yeah. He's like, yo, I know this guy. He's an amazing guitar player. And, and you guy, put me on bass. <laughs> that's the saddest fucking thing ever. It's like, well, I'm playing guitar and we have a guitar player. And it's almost like, uh, what's that What's that movie, uh, Spinal Tap, where the like the drummer <laughs> keeps disappearing? That was our situation with bass players. Who is the first bass player? Uh, was it me? No. No. Yes, it was you. Yeah. It was my brother, actually. Then he okay. went to drums. Okay. And then we got you. And then we got this guy named Jason Winterbottom. <laughs> yeah. It was such a legendary rock Jason Eustad. Yeah. 
unfortunately, we kind of treated him like that. Um, then Brandon Harar. Oh, that's right. Brandon took over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and then you had Alex. On like, yeah, briefly. He had some real characters. Yeah, in the brief, <laughs> like, honestly, anyone I could get. Anyone I could get. Anyone I could get. And yeah, it was mm. so sad because we put you on bass. And you were by far just the best musician out of all of us at every instrument. But you played the bass. And I was happy. Bass is really fun, too. I was happy to play the bass. Yeah. And it, it was a short stint. It was a short stint. This wasn't years, you know? No. No. It was. I was it, yeah. I wasn't living in the house much back then. But the revolving door of bass players actually helped my songwriting. And I'll tell you why. And I haven't really thought about this in a while. But the fact that we had such a revolving door of bass players made me purposely write songs that were simple. Because mm. it's like, I, I know in three to four weeks, we'll have to change our bass player again. So I need to make all the songs just one chord progression. And that actually led to much more concise, solid songwriting. I could focus on melody and, uh, and lyrics in lieu of uh, shredding and solos and tempo changes and you know key changes and all that shit. Was it weird for your brother to always have like the rhythm section always changing, uh, or who just he, he just honestly always I thing. don't even think he noticed the bass players changed. Okay, <laughs> we were in a different vibe back then. He had the two belts on. And yeah, yeah, he he was ripping. He was ripping back then. But double was, bass drum, double belt. Yeah, double bass. Yeah, he double everything. Yeah, double everything. <laughs> double color hair, everything. So you're a writer, journalist. I would like you to explain. Because I, I like to know, and whenever I have people on the podcast, it's like, I know them, and I know them well, but hearing the step-by-step -step process of how things happened is very interesting to me. So what led you into this into this world? Um, so I stumbled into it, for sure. I, I, I never, you know... Oh, cool. Coaster. Um, I never planned on uh, becoming a journalist. I, I never... Uh, it was never a goal I had set. It was never an aspiration I had. But, I, you know, I was on my way to becoming a lawyer. I had gotten a law degree. And then I was uh, in bar school, writing the Quebec bar exam, which is a really grueling, you know, situation. And it, it completely drained me. Uh, but, you know, I wrote it once, failed it. And then I, I wrote the retake. And then I failed that. And then I went to Paris for a few months and, you know, it was just kind of reset, recalibrated. And when I got back, well, while I was in bar school, I'd met an editor from Vice, Raf Katigbak, really, really nice guy. And we were just talking, he was asking me about, you know, my background. And I was saying, well, you know, I worked, I were, I always worked in criminal law. That was always my field of interest. My father's a criminal lawyer, uh, but it's a really, really highly stimulating area of law. So, you know, I, uh, so I was talking to this vice editor and he was asking me kind of my take on certain big cases back then. And, uh, you know, I, I was a fan of vice for sure. And, you know, I think for whatever reason, he thought what I was saying lined up with their kind of editorial vibe. So he said, Hey man, he goes, you should send in an article sometime or a pitch. Like we'd love to, we need more like crime stuff. I was like, wow. I remember going home that night and being like, that's crazy. Like it, I was just at this. It's actually an Uncle Bob story, too. Like, we went to Chuck Hughes. It's such a Montreal thing. Chuck Hughes was releasing a Vans signature shoe. Only in Montreal does a chef get, like, a signature shoe from Vans. And it was being held at the Phi Center. Uh, and then Bob sees a guy, this 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 Filipino guy. He 
And he goes, hey, R Ricky. And and he, Ricky goes, he goes, it's Bob Marriott. Holy shit, I haven't seen you in like 25 years. Like, oh, who's this Ricky guy? So Ricky goes, oh, I used to play football, uh, North Shore Lions with, with your uncle. I remember asking him, being like, because Bob always talks about, he's like Uncle Rico in uh, Napoleon Dynamite. He always talks about what a great football player he is or skateboarder. was. Yeah, skateboarder, whatever. And it's always like, okay, Bob. And then Ricky, I asked Ricky, I go, hey, was Bob like good at football? Or because he's always telling us he was like the best football player ever. And he goes, your uncle was amazing. He was fearless. He was like smart. We were like, wow, okay, Bob is telling me the truth. And then Ricky goes, hey, uh, he goes, I'd like you to meet my my uh, my brother, Raph. And Raph worked at Vice. And uh, Testament to, you know, Uncle Bob, he immediately, the street smarts that he has saw the, I, I never expressed any desire to get into journalism, but Bob was like, this guy works for Vice, Nick works for criminal, you guys should talk. Like right away, he saw like an angle. So after all the bar exam stuff fails, I say, I, I can't go back, spend another year trying to pass a pretty arbitrary multiple choice exam. Uh, I decided to contact Raph, who I hadn't seen in a few months. And I just, I wrote a full story I didn't even pitch it. I'd never written it. As a, so I wrote the thing, sent it into Raf, and within he got back to me a half hour later and said, "It's going on the site in an hour. Here's what you need to fix." And it was pretty minimal, and I had to fix. It. I was like, "Holy shit!" Like, you know, I, this is after a month of trying to find a job after getting back from from France and being like, you know, a bank job in a you know law office, straight jobs, and like not no response. Like I sent out like 20, 30 applications, got nothing. I sent an article to Vice, which was really cool back then. And, you know, it was on the website within an hour. I, I touched a few things up and I was like, never really looked back, you know? That's that's amazing, though. It's so I, crazy. I, I, still, I, I still pinch myself and be like, you know, if, if Bob hadn't met this guy he played football with 25 years at the shoe opening thing, I wouldn't, I, I would maybe not. Maybe I would have gone back to the bar exam and I'd be a lawyer now or something. That's what I like to attribute the uh, the fifth dimension to. You know, the creator of coincidence. You know, all the stuff that we don't understand that in hindsight we say like this completely shifted my trajectory. Yeah. Like were that not to happen? Like there were so many unknowns for that to happen. But it's and there's so, so many, you though. So many things had to line up for that to happen. Like and there was in that and, moment. And like, it wasn't even the plan. No, there's no plan. The plan. The plan I thought was to become a lawyer, you know? But it was just so, it's just so wild how that worked out. And, but in the moment, like, it just felt right. really natural and really right. And like, it was hard, it's hard to, to articulate that feeling. Uh, but my mom saw me that night right after and she said something had changed. She was like, the way I was talking and my vibe, it was like something, uh, you know. Something connected. Something, something connected big time. And uh, the more bar school was going on, the more I was just like, I was drawing a lot. And then I was, I remember I was in a cafe and I'd drawn a portrait of uh, Stanley Kubrick, which is pretty unrecognizable. I'm not very good at drawing, but it was just uh, to deal with the stress of, um, of of bar school, I think. I was just drawing. And this this guy comes up to me and goes, was that Stanley Kubrick? I go, yeah, cool. Like, you recognize <laughs> it. And he goes, oh, he goes, I'm working on a movie right now. We started talking about Kubrick and film. He goes, oh, you know, I'd love for you to, like, he's, he's like, you have a kind of a weird, interesting face. I'd love for you to be in this movie. So, like, there's all these... You know, I was going to a pretty non-artistic field, but all of these things were just happening, and I just felt it was just like, you know, maybe I should be doing something more expressive signs. or creative. Yeah, I was getting signs, or at least that's how I felt. Yeah, and I had no idea that there was the connection of criminal law and your first 
Vice article. I didn't yeah. know, I didn't know that was the connection. I didn't know it was that like linear. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I ended up covering uh, the the first article I wrote was I went on um, WikiLeaks and I found some. It was going into the political affiliations of media companies in Quebec. And I was just digging through WikiLeaks articles. Uh, but then after that, it was really like, uh, you know, I was covering the Magnata trial. That was pretty, I was in the courtroom with Luca Magnata and, uh, they, you know, a lot of organized crime and stuff. And if any, anyone doesn't know that trial, can you explain what that was? Well, I think everyone knows that trial, but uh, Luca Magnata was... Yeah, I don't, the, I don't think everyone does. No, okay, well, he... Uh, he, you know, murdered and dismembered uh, a guy who was here from from China. It was like a hookup, supposedly. I think a Craigslist hookup. And uh, yeah, he brutally killed him, filmed it, and then fled to Germany. Uh, and he was he was arrested in Germany. They brought him back and put on trial for uh, for murder. And he was he, he was his argument was that. Uh, he had lost his mind at the time. He didn't know what he was doing, so he, he shouldn't be treated uh, like a. Was that that cat's criminal. documentary? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so he's the guy. Before all of this happened, he he'd already pissed off the you know a subculture of cat enthusiasts on the internet because he was. You mean humans? <laughs> <laughs> yes, a cat. Yeah, this really niche counterculture yeah. called people who like cats. cat enthusiasts. <laughs> um, no, but there was like these forums, right? And they were there, they, he was posting these videos and guys were trying to figure out who he was, where he was from. And he was killing cats? Yeah, he was torturing cats. That's so Yeah, fun. no, it's That's disgusting. Insane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so there, he was very, very disturbed, this guy. And, you know, it was old like audition tapes. of He, he was very fucked up. He was kind of a ticking time bomb situation. And it was a huge it was a sensational case because, you know, he'd filmed it and put it on the internet, the, the murder and... Uh, yeah, it was brutal, and you know, it was like this big media thing. But his uh, his parents were there every single day of the the trial. The jurors are you know had to be treated for PTSD afterwards uh, because they were looking at all the evidence. Uh, so it was it, it was really like a an intense uh, you know trial, and a girl you know I was just Vice was just like. Raph was just like, okay, go, you know, you know, the law sort of go cover it. So I was just in there and, you know, I'd learned. So yeah, criminal law was like definitely the foot in the door, but also in law school, I had learned how to write properly, you know, in a very kind of lean, organized, direct way. And um, so, which was a huge asset for like writing, you know, online articles because you just, you know, people's attention spans are pretty short when they're reading online. So. Of course. Yeah, rarely do they get past the title. Yeah, no, they, exactly. They always exactly. have time to write comments, but they rarely get past the title. Yeah, exactly. Obviously, I'm joking, but um, and so that the first article was about was about that case. There's like three or four. Uh, yeah, there's like three articles. I went multiple times just to cover, you know, the trial itself, the verdict, and then he he appealed. He I had to go to the court of appeals because he was appealing something. He appeared via video conference. Yeah. Just a really that's some really uh, weird looking guy. Yeah, that's what was the feeling like in the room in the in the courtroom? It was heavy because like his lawyer was like all over the place, and it, it was there was a lot going on within. There was a lot of drama, just legally speaking, like between the, the prosecution and the defense. Uh, you know, and the jury. It, it was just you could tell everyone was exhausted emotionally, physically. You know, it, it was just it, it was a lot, but it was it was a great 
place to learn how to write on deadline, you know, because it's like, okay, file this, you know, once the verdict is rendered, you know, get a couple of quotes about guilty or no, not guilty. And then, you know, we got to have this up as soon as possible. So I was under the gun and, you know, dealing, you know, also meeting other journalists there, talking to them. They were kind of, there were some really nice journalists who were like, I was like, look, I don't really know what I'm doing here. And they were helpful with uh, navigating the the story. So that was all that. Because you had, you, you submitted your first article, right? Right. Yeah. It, it was just one. Yeah. And then they said, okay, we need two more. No, no. I, I just kept, <laughs> I just kept, uh, like, who's, filing, giving you, who's giving you these deadlines? No one, no one. I was giving myself, <laughs> I, 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 I wasn't even being assigned. I would just write things and send them in. I wouldn't even pitch them because I was like, well, worst case they say no, but I'm still learning how to write an article. So at one point Raph was, was like, hey man, uh, you know you can pitch something first before writing a full article? Uh, I was like, I know, but I'd rather just, it's not lost time. But I thought, because I was so fresh and I'd never done it before. Like it was- You just, were excited about it. Uh, yeah, I, of course. I was like obsessive about it, yeah. Okay, so how did you transition after that? Because you didn't stay in, in like the criminal scope, did you? No. No, I was covering that. I was covering all kinds of shit, but like, uh, but so what happened is that around the same time, Wait, just the tapping on the table, just no, just because it's bad for audio. Oh, it's bad for audio. Yeah. When there's a big, you okay. know, <laughs> okay. I'm rip roaring mad right now. <laughs> um, so, uh, so what then, well, I, you know, my brother and I started a little hot sauce company, uh, shout out smoke, smoke show. show Montrose foods. Um, so, you know, I was completely winging it as a freelance journalist. Um, but that was going really well. My relationship with Vice was going really well. And then at the same time, my brother and I were starting to get this hot, mostly my brother, but you know, getting this hot sauce off the ground and the guys, the, the, the editor at Munchies in Toronto, he had just, I, he had just left and and they're like, hey, you have a hot sauce company. You must know a lot about food. I was like, yeah, sure. I know a lot about food. Uh, you know, do, do you want to do you want to be the the editor uh, for, for Munchies? They offered me editor. I ended up becoming staff writer. But like within four or five months of freelancing, I went from, you know, from that one article. Yeah, it was like maybe five months. And then I was I was offered a staff gig at Vice, which like, you know, in 2015 was like, you know, it would be like in the seventies, like you're, you're a writer for like six months and Rolling Stones like, Hey, you want to be a staff writer for us? You know, like it, it was, I, I, I completely blew my mind that I was like, like literally no friction, no barriers no, to entry to, to that's like, what was so crazy. Like it the just, bar, like the law, like it was, thing was, I was just like swimming upstream and it was, you know, it was such a struggle. Uh, and then this, this writing just falls out of nowhere and, and just you effortlessly glide into yeah. this this new domain where it's like, oh yeah, you'd speak to someone who's your uncle's old friend. He says, oh, you're criminal law? Like, yeah, okay, yeah. send us some stuff. And you never expect any like anyone to answer your email, right? And they do, and then they want more and you keep submitting. Yeah. And then you start this hot sauce company with your brother and you meet someone else and they're like, oh, you must know a lot about food. You, you, you want to come on and talk about food? And, and it's just like, Fucking yeah. effortless, dude. Yeah, it, exactly. And it was just like, oh, okay. Like, it was just, uh, I could just like exhale and just let it, you know, I just realized, you just release and, you know, let the 
let the river take me where it's gonna where it wants me to be you know it's, it's so much easier to to live that way it's easier said than done right because you have to have a certain amount of like faith or lack of expectations for that to work that's the lack of expectations I, I even right now i don't have any like you know super precise goals or ambitions i'm just working on what i have now as hard as i can and you know with certain faith that you know things will continue to unfold and they might not i don't know but but they're definitely moving forward yeah like you're progressing they're progressing. You're, you're putting out quality work and you're getting more work after that. Yeah. So that's a beautiful thing. It's amazing. And I think you're in a field that like really suits your your mind, your persona, like your personality, everything. Like I see you more as a writer, as a rocker than than a lawyer. But you have like you have the intellect for it. But it, yeah. it doesn't mean that you, you're just not I don't see I don't see lawyer. No, and you know, even my dad, who's a lawyer, a couple of years ago, I remember he pulled me aside and he's like, "Hey, Nick," he goes, "You know, I was at the courthouse the other day and I was looking at all the young guys, and he's like, I look at you with your hair and what you're doing now.' He's like, you're, you keep doing what you're doing. You're, you're very good. Uh, you're in the right place. And it just feels like I'm in the right place. So that's really relieving to hear. Like there's, the, there's, I, I spoke about this with your brother, your brother Dave Rose, for the, all the, the people, Frere. yeah, Frere, for the people who don't know, but. Um, parents and the way they interact with their kids has a huge impact on what they do, how they turn out. And, and not to say that there's any good or bad way. It's just more of like action, reaction. It is what it is, where it'll lead to. And and your dad, who was the lawyer, is not saying, cut your hair. You don't look like anyone else in the fucking courtroom. Yeah. Go do it. Whereas like my, my dad, for example, was like, clean fucking shape. <laughs> don't fuck around. You're going to fucking sell. You're going to work. Spring break, that's for pussies. <laughs> You're going on the road. You're going to work. You're going to fucking work. <laughs> oh, Georgie. Oh, Georgie. Yeah. Which is his way of showing his, expressing his love for you, right? It's like, oh, of course. Yeah. Uh, but he's, but just, yeah, my dad was just like a little more laid back about those things. You know, he just, my, my parents were just always like, you know, as long as our kids are happy, we're happy. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's amazing because you didn't have this, like this inherent uh, guilt or shame about you know, not doing what you're supposed to be doing. Like you felt liberated to do what you were doing. Yeah. Right. So yeah, I didn't feel like I was doing something wrong. Like I if anything, like the, the, the whole uh, law initiative was more of a burden on yourself, like a stress on yourself yeah. that you said, I have this goal and I have this expectation yeah. Yeah. and like, I'm going to do this. And I studied for this and that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. And it was great because it taught me a lot about discipline. It, it made me more rigorous inter intellectually. Uh, it taught me how to write like you know, it taught me, you know, it put me in situations where, you know, was working on trials, you know, organized crime. I remember really early on working on the Colisée, which was at the time the biggest uh, organized crime trial, you know, uh, the biggest organized crime bust ever. It was like, you know, there's like a hundred guys or something. So, you know, all of this came in really useful later on. So it wasn't like an unnecessary, it's not like, oh shit, I wasted that time. Like, it, it was really good, but the end goal the end game of becoming a lawyer wasn't the right end game, but it was all for well, yeah, the right it, reason. Yeah, but there was but, no waste. But I didn't know what it was, you know. Yeah, it was. It was all for a reason. It all, it all gave you the it gave you the skills that you needed to really, you know, kill what you needed to do. Yeah. Later on, and that's how I feel about like my journey in business, and let's say the way my dad was, and then when he when he passed away, and I ran that company, it gave me a discipline that I didn't have. It gave me. Uh, understanding of 
you know, financials and understanding of, of how a company functions and dealing with people. And it, it just gave me this whole breadth of skills that when I was in it, I thought I was going to be, you know, running a manufacturing business for the rest of my life. <laughs> but things change as well. We ended up selling it. And now I'm in the arts as well. And I approach it very much like a business, very much like manufacturing. All my, the way I outsource stuff, the way I, I set up my supply chain, all that, I couldn't have ever been able to do what I'm doing had it not been for my past experience. Yeah, most people doing that aren't applying that kind of framework, you know, logistically to whatever creative undertaking. There's like an idea of like, oh, well, you know, I'm in the arts, I can be disorganized. You're coming at it from a very logical yeah and it's like simple stuff like if i say i'm going to be there at one i'll be there at one you know very it's 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 these very basic things if i'm gonna say that i'm gonna hit a deadline i'll hit the deadline i'm not going to do everything i'm going to find the best suppliers and have backup suppliers and in my word of supplier it's like freelancers who are doing my editing yeah and uh long story short we should be grateful and and learn to see that there's no waste that everything gave us these this they filled our toolbox yeah. with what we needed. Yeah, exactly. It's just, do you, do you stubbornly continue with, you know, down that path, you know, just to prove something to yourself or to other people, or do you kind of take stock, you know, do a, a moral inventory, as they say in AA, and, and just uh, say, you know what, crunching the numbers here, this isn't working, you know, and just, there's no harm in just walking away from something that's, that's not working. Yeah, and that's also much easier uh, said than done because oftentimes when we're on a path and we have this idea in our heads that like people are expecting us to do what we said we were going to do. I know I'm kind of contradicting myself with the last thing, but I was talking about deadlines and, and <laughs> meetings because let's say you said, Oh, I was going to be in, I know when I sold the company, all these people came out of the woodwork and said, well, how can you do this? You know, it's your dad's company. You built this, you were doing this, you did it for so many years. Da, 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 da. And it's like, I, I didn't really care. But there's always this, like the surrounding, we have this idea that, that there are people in our surroundings, uh, their ideas of what we should do have some kind of weight. And oftentimes that kind of holds us back. Like we're, we feel guilty that we're not doing what they thought we were going to do when, when that's meaningless. Yeah. Like, they're, just, they're just projecting all of their shit onto you. Like. Yeah, of course. So did you have any of that when you were transitioning? Uh... Not, not really. If I did, I filtered it out. Like I did, like, it's not something I think, like, I think there's some people like, Oh, good for you. Yeah. You want to be a writer and start a hot sauce company with your brother. Like when I was, you know, eight months away from being a lawyer, but I really didn't care. Like it was so much more interesting when I was, what was unfolding in front of me. And you, and when you get, when you went into the, the writing, it, it was almost like, it was full gear. It almost, it went from zero to 60 real fast, right? Real fast. Yeah. Yeah. Which is great. And it was like, I mean, I do everything full gear. Like when I was in bar school, I was full gear and you know, with every, like you, you're well, the same way. Yeah. It's it. I think that's a very important thing. It's like when you're, when you're doing something fully committing to what you're doing, like fully showing up, because regardless of what you think the outcome might be, the outcome is going to be different. So all you can really do is just not hesitate and just, Give it all you got. Yeah, exactly. And not get focused. Don't focus too much on the end game. Just focus on what's tangible and in front of you and what yeah. you can do now. Yeah, like I get I get lost in that a little bit. In, in what? Like in the end game. Like, oh, what am I going to do? Like, uh, I'm, 
like I started this podcast. There's no real end game with the podcast. Yeah. It's just I wanted a reason to to connect with people. Yeah. Well, you've invested a lot into this. You know, on some level, you're probably like, well, you know, I want to, you know, metrics of X amount of views per episode. Like I'm sure on some level, but well, yeah. But I, I but know it's, if you, a, it's if you a long help, game. Yeah. It's a long game where when you're just starting a podcast, you can't expect to have like a million downloads yeah. per episode. No. So I know full well that this is long game stuff and I'm just going to have people on and I'm not going to just do this expecting to like my life to change because of it. Yeah. Right. So there's no expectations with this other than showing up and sharing nice conversations, yeah, making sure the the product is as good as possible. Exactly. Because that's the only thing you have control over anyways. So. That's, that's the, that's the only thing. But like with, let's say with music, Oh, I'm making music. And sometimes I get in my head a little too much about, Oh, what's this outcome? Like, how am I going to get, how am I going to get it out? How do I get a label to like uh, help me distribute it? How do I do this, that, blah, 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 blah. And then I was like, sit back, sit yeah. back, diverse, see how diversified you are. You know, like don't, don't, don't lose yourself in this shit. Yeah. Cause do you, do you find yourself sometimes losing it or, or are you, you so focused on like the task at hand that you, there's no room for that? There's no room for me personally. No, because it's never served me to have the, the one time I did really have an end game of like, I want to be a lawyer. It, it just, it, 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 it was so far removed from what my, you know, mental idea of what it was going to be that I just realized like, okay, like I just want to, you know, work as hard as I can to make the coolest stuff possible right now. Yeah. And then the, 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 the rest, first of all, it doesn't even exist it's in the future and it'll take care of itself one way or another. Yeah. And that's where I always bring myself back to. Yeah. It's like, whatever, I know that I'm giving everything I've got to what I'm doing. And I, I think yeah. it's, it's going to, that's all I can do. That's all we can really have control of. Yeah. Exactly. How can we make the best of this very moment? So you were talking about, uh, so the food portion of your of your journey, right? The food writing. And then you went, uh, like you, you saw the guy who knew you drew Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. Or Kubrick. How do you pronounce it? I, I say Kubrick. Okay, Kubrick. cool. Kubrick. I never saw that guy again, it, but it was just like a little, like, he was just like a weird guy in a cafe. He was like, he'd show me some short films he had made and stuff. Uh, but yeah, he asked me if I wanted to be on cam and, he gave me his phone number. He, well, I got you on camera. Yeah, <laughs> yeah in the exactly. machine. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, in the machine. Yeah, you were and right now. And well, okay. and yeah. right now, this is number. This is the second time. Yeah, this is the sequel. All right. So, how long? Where did you go after the the, uh, the food thing? How long did you did you do the food? Uh, you were the what were you? What did you call it? A staff writer for Munchies. Yeah, which is amazing gig, right? Yeah, great gig. I got to uh, eat and drink and write for a living. You know. Uh, it was an amazing job. So you said eat and drink and write for a living. Yeah. And you also mentioned AA a little earlier. Yeah. <laughs> so when, when the hell did, when did things change? When did things change? Uh, about three years ago, it was just, I was drinking a lot and, uh, and like at the same time, like things were happening at work where it was like, you know, maybe time to leave munchies, you know, I'd done, it was like almost three years I did food writing and then, you know, there's opportunities coming up production wise within vice to, to work on, on TV projects. Um, so it was just like completely chaotic point in my life. And then I got really sick. I got a really bad flu. I got like COVID 17 or something. And the, I remember that. Yeah. And I was in bed for like uh, 10 or 12 days. Like, like bedridden. Like I couldn't get out of bed for like, so I, I've, I haven't been sick since that. Like, like it was just a huge, like reset on the immune system. And I'd been, I was drinking a lot leading up to that. And then, you know, that was like the longest I'd gone in forever without drinking. It was like 10 days or because like nothing was going down. 
Uh, and I just decided, okay, you know, I'll take a month off. And then a month turned into like, you know, six months. And things just kept getting better for me personally without the booze. It was like the one thing I I removed and then everything else got better. So, and it keeps getting better. And you were already like on a sweet momentum. And yeah. Then, and then would you say that when you dropped that uh, bag of bricks that was on your back, like you, you were able to float it even better? <laughs> it was more like... It was like a, everything, like work and personal stuff. It was all like tied into a knot, like really, really tight. And then I just, I just pulled the thread of alcohol out of the knot, and then psh, the whole thing unfurled. And I was like, okay, I could see all the threads separately. You know, it was just way easier to navigate all of those things and to, to isolate them, where the booze just kind of tangles them all together, and you don't, <laughs> you don't, you don't know, know where to start, what's up and what's down. You don't know what's going on. So your yeah. your lo- your perspective is uh, is lost. Oh, I see you putting that bad boy away. This bad boy? Oh. <laughs> yeah, because you were clicking it earlier. I know. It's yeah, a yeah. tick. I'm sorry. It's I'm okay. Not nervous. It's okay. No, but now, no, I know you're not nervous. Come on. Why are you not nervous? <laughs> so you, you quit the drinking. It's been, what, three years? Almost three years, yeah. Yeah, December. You look amazing. You look alive. Yeah, you're my hair. Look at my hair. It's gotten, my hair's gotten a lot nicer since I stopped drinking. We well, always had too. great hair. But your skin and your, let's say your glow look. Thank you. Look fucking but, good. Yeah. You look a hell of a lot better too than when. Well, I looked like I was forty-seven years old when I was twenty-five. You look like Vinnie Paul from Pantera at one point. Oh yeah, yeah, I did. He had the big beard, big beard, and the dead eyes. You know, (laughs) holding a bottle of Jameson. Oh man, but uh, we—that's where we're. That's what the first thirty years or so are for, right? They're for uh, downloading our environment, about learning our limits, seeing uh, the boundaries. Yeah, I, I would encourage going. To the you know, edge. To the edge to see what it is. Yeah. So you, you know how far you can go. <laughs> yeah. There's always a couple of guys who fall off the edge. You yeah, know? yeah. Yeah. I don't want to name any, but like a couple come to mind. Uh, but yeah, no, you just throw a bunch of spaghetti at the wall from like 20 to 30. And then you, and then we don't know what the fuck we're doing. No, exactly. And then you see what sticks after a decade of, you know, fuckery. Yeah. Cause and, you, and, cause it's like they let you, your parents let you out of the house. Yeah. And then you, you're essentially a 12 year old because when you live with your parents, you're you're not really progressing, right? There's just like this uh, this shit attitude because you're you're suppressed in a way because you're a teenager and you need to be out and about like our you know our ancestors. And so when they let when we're out of the cage, it's almost like we're children who can do whatever they want and have enough disposable income to make a disaster. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or I mean, you you don't need any disposable income to make a disaster, but oh, yeah. uh, you know. But <laughs> just need a good collection of pirates. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, you can steal, you know, whatever you need, you know, in the right mindset. So, um, so yeah, it was, and then, but what's cool about, you know, once you turn like 30 is just like, you're old enough to like see patterns repeating themselves, but you're, you're, you're young enough to like actually change those things, you know, and be like, okay, well I see what the, what needs to be removed. And, you, but you're young enough where you're not too caught up in your habits or whatever to uh Yeah, so to, you can adjust. It. And it's almost like every, with every year, we can recognize things that aren't serving us a little quicker than we used to. Yeah. All right. So nice, clean, uh, well, other than that pizza and brio that you ate before. I still eat like a like a divorced cop, but it's, <laughs> it's you know, whatever. Compared to what I used to put in my body, it's yeah. really way, way better. Yeah. Way fucking better. So what are some some interesting topics? Because, you, you know, you've told me off off the record 
about all these really interesting people that you've been able to reach out to and like you've communicated with, you even have a burner phone now, all these crazy <laughs> things. But what are, what is this, this writing and jur journalism journey? Like, what are some really interesting stories or people that you've come across? Um, that you're at liberty to discuss. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like two of the most interesting ones I did never got published. One was Norm Macdonald. Uh, I, I, I spent a, a couple hours on the phone with, with Norm, who we, you know, I remember we used to go to your place and watch dirty work, you know, I watched it last week. Did you really? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It, th does it stand up? It does. Yeah. It, it's, <laughs> you can really feel how like, it's, it's like an amazing piece of shit. Yeah. Like they, you but can, it's not trying to be good either. It's just no. Like, it's trying to be what it is. It it feels like a, a movie written by Bob Saget and Norm Macdonald, <laughs> yeah, and it's just like joke, joke, joke. Like yeah, there's no real structure to it. Yeah, the, the transitions of the scenes, like every new scene is a new song, a new pop song from like from '96 or whatever it was. It like the whole production of it is really poor. Yeah, but but I love it. Yeah, no, there's some really. So what happened scenes. with Norm? So Norm, uh, at the time, he was uh, his his talk show. Uh, I think it's called Norm Macdonald has a talk show on Netflix. Norm Macdonald has a show. Is the name of the show, and it was being released on Netflix. So he's doing like a little media blitz. So I, at this point, I I'd, I'd left Munchies. I was freelancing again, but uh, you know, the 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 editors at, at Advice are really cool about you know. So basically, it was like an excuse to talk to Norm Macdonald, who I'd always admired. And uh, so, yeah, I managed to get on the phone with him a couple of years ago to talk about, um, you know, the, uh, talk about the show, but also late night stuff. And then we ended up talking about the October crisis and the FLQ and organized crime. And he was all he was like so smart, you know, like he acts like he's like this dumb guy, dumb chunk of coal, but he's <laughs> far from it. Like very, very well read. We we ended up talking about like Bob Dylan and uh you know, Nabokov, like, like literature and stuff. Like it was just a crazy, huge spanning conversation that how, continued a little bit uh, afterwards. He was really cool. How was his vibe and his like tone of voice when you're talking to him on the phone? Uh, it was like really low, you know, like when he's on Conan, he's like, Hey, hey Conan. And he, he, the, yeah. he, it's like, it's like kind of more nasally, but you, he, he kind of took a really, when he wasn't like on, he was just like really gra gravely kind of nice, deep voice. So like Norm sounded more like this. Yeah, a little like this, like even like like raspy a little bit. Okay, yeah, like he'd have like because his persona is like, hey, yeah, oh, what's <laughs> and I think, asking the question, Adam? Yeah, ask the question. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and I think it's like part of his persona is that voice is like a cre like it's a character, you yeah. know, like Bob Dylan. You know, people don't realize that Bob Dylan for the last fifty years has been pretending to be Bob Dylan. It's not even he's not even a real guy, right? It's not even his real name. I think Norm Macdonald, who's a huge uh, Bob Dylan fan, has taken from that and been like, he just created this guy, uh, you know, on podcasts and talk shows, uh, you know, Saturday Night Live. But he's, he's a way more interesting, intelligent, complex guy than, um, than you know, this like one-liner, you know, the guy does one-liners on, on talk shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so he's, so he's much different. But what the hell happened to the episode? Uh, it, the timing wasn't good because he'd made some, it's a, he'd made some statements around that time and it just became a kind of a hot potato. And so we ended up not running the, uh, the, interview. okay. Yeah. So that was based on, on your camp saying we don't need to put this out. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. it wasn't like he called and said, oh, yo, shit's no, out. No, 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 no. I, I spoke to him 
on the phone that one time and and, and that was it. But interestingly, I, I remember seeing this picture back in the day before Uncle Bob got sober. He had a picture of himself, um, himself, Ricky from Trailer Park Boys and Norm Macdonald on the Paramount lot in L.A. And it's I think Norm's got his arm around Bob and Ricky. Um, what a crew! Yeah, it's and you can tell they they'd had like a wild night, you know. And so I I I sent him the picture, and uh, he goes, "Oh, sure." He goes, "Sure, I remember your uncle." He goes, "I thought he was one of the Trailer Park Boys." Um, so it was just like a you know kind of a weird again another weird fucking Bob coincidence connected to that interdimensional. Bob's being tapped named. into some kind of weird yeah, energy. Yeah, he doesn't even he doesn't even know it. No, no. none of us know it. No, no, we can exactly. just maybe we can we can just see. Uh, uh, glimmers oh, in the matrix sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Cause I mean, you know, we talk about, Oh, you know, uh, we were drinking too much, but like nowhere near the levels of Bob. Yeah. At yeah. His peak. And the, the, to do that kind of, yeah, one, we, to, we to, were, to, we were diet partiers. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. You know? And, you know, to swim against the stream that Bob had created for himself was, you know, over like 20, 25 years is, you know, really impressive. But again, it seems like it just, once he set his mind to it, it just kind of, Happened very easily. Yeah, and when I was talking to him, and and Bob is is Nick and Dave Rose's uncle. He's a uh, world renowned sober coach, and he has a very colorful past with drugs and alcohol. <laughs> so so crazy that like he could have died multiple times. And I always I was using this analogy with him. It's almost like this first thirty five years or forty years was like pulling an elastic back as far as go, <laughs> and you thought like ten times that the elastic was going to explode. Yeah. But then when he chose to release that elastic, it fucking flew in the other direction yeah. so hard. And I would argue that his life is equally as high stress as it was back then, but his outcome or net benefit that he brings the ecosystem is there is a net benefit where before it was just like a, a, a car that was on fire driving through a mall, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, his elastic band is just made out of some kind of other material. that Element be, uh, 115? Yeah, element 115, exactly. Yeah, nice. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you know, he's he's strong and he, he made it through. But, uh, yeah, puts a lot of his whole thing puts, you know, our conversation in perspective. Like, you know, it can get so much darker, you know, and you can still kind of you can always back, you, yeah. you can always make it out. You just yeah. gotta make that choice, or something has to happen that that switches gears for you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like you said that you got really sick. I was starting to feel sick. I was, I was really out of shape, but I was I was feeling, I couldn't even drink anymore. Like I was literally drinking <laughs> and getting like so red and migraines instantly, where I'd have to go sleep on the grass. Like wow. after two drinks, like an allergic reaction. Yeah. Wow. Like I, it's like I literally became allergic to alcohol. I couldn't drink anymore. Wow! It's like I not I didn't even choose it. I just couldn't drink anymore. That's crazy. What what year? What when was this? I'm trying to put it in the context. 2016. 2016. 2016 okay. and a half maybe. Okay. And I I just started. I just couldn't handle alcohol anymore. So I just stopped. I stopped being hungover. I stopped. Did you go cold? Like you you still like a glass of wine and stuff sometimes? Yeah, or? here and there I'll have a. I'll have a beer here and there, but other than that, uh, well, a couple of times a year, I'll, 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 I'll have a go. I'll fate. Yeah. I'll have a go, but always in controlled scenarios. Like I'll be at home and an old friend comes over yeah. and we, and we have some drinks, maybe some edibles and put on master of puppets and, and, and just watch rock concerts all night. Yeah. That's the extent of my like wild yeah. energy where before it was like, <laughs> nah, we're, uh, 
we're going, Patrick's we're, we're going out. We're walking around. We're going to go to every house party. Luckily, like I wasn't the kind of guy who drove during that. I uh, yeah, a lot of guys did in Hudson too. Like the amount of DUIs coming out yeah, of Hudson are crazy, crazy, crazy. And uh, I guess I always, I, I always knew in the back of my head that it, like the the trouble didn't equate. So I, I was like a top member of Point Zero Eight, which is a service that uh, <laughs> picks you up and has someone follow in another car. And like literally three times a week, I had these. I, I knew them. Like I, it was the same people over and over. Wow. But uh, at least I played it safe like that. But now with frequent flyer. I, yeah, yeah, exactly. Eight. But now, uh, not that's not even close. That's like a different world. That's yeah. like not even a consideration. So yeah, like I said, once in a while I have a go, but for the most part, not for me, man. As uh, my my good friend Liam would say, <laughs> you gotta you gotta get Liam, man. I tried. I tried to. Uh, oh. I came really close to scoring a Liam Gallagher interview because he was releasing that Unplugged album a few months ago, and uh, yeah, I was like, I wonder what the hell Liam Gallagher is doing in quarantine. I thought that would be an interesting article because he was tweeting all this weird stuff. His twist. Oh yeah, he had a weird week. Yeah. That, I remember that particular portion. But he's he, back now. He just released something. Yeah, yeah. And so you know, I'd reached out to kind of you know, get an interview about that. And then that didn't work out. Um, so then I, then I reached out to Noel Gallagher's people and, uh, you know, what to see if they can find Liam. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought maybe, you know, like saying, Oh, you know, it would be a cool way to kind of <laughs> get back at Liam, you know, yeah. like I'll find Noel's going to do it. And, you know, it came in both cases came close, but they, it didn't end up happening. That would have been great though. Okay. Well, look, I did speak to David Lynch though, uh, during, during quarantine to see like what he was uh, up to, what he was up to. Yeah. That, that was, that was, that's crazy. Picking up the phone and hearing David Lynch on the other, on the other line is uh, so pretty cool. He's the legendary creator of the TV show Twin Peaks. Yeah. And also a legendary filmmaker, yeah. right? About what Era are, what are some e of Eraserhead, Blue Velvet, Mulholland Drive, Lost Highway, like just really kind of surreal, dark, heavy movies. But, and he's like this like bright kind of guy who has like a Midwestern accent so really interesting. So where does that dude. come from? Well, yeah, I think he. Well, he's from, he comes from. I think he's from the Midwest. I can't remember now. But uh, no. But where does that element of him that that dark surrealist, almost absurdist? Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think he said like it just comes from his like subconscious, and it's in all of us, and he's able to like tap into he's, it. Yeah, he just he's got his finger on the pulse there. Yeah, he can control that. Yeah, lever. yeah, exactly, exactly, and he just you know works his shit out that way. He's a big meditator, huh? Yeah, transcendental meditation. Yeah. That was kind of like the foot in the door for that for that interview. Which is like, hey, let's talk about TM. If a billion people meditate at the same time during uh, lockdown, what, could we have world peace? Because that's like one of the stated goals of uh, of transcendental meditation. So he he said, yeah, he said, you know, if we all do this, this could be a chance for like world peace here. That's kind of what this Galactic Federation of Time Travel. Yeah, which is. I want, what, I need to know what this, what's going this, on what here. this logo is. Yeah, can like, you explain uh, the logo? Can you explain the federation? I'm uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I got, look, I, I'm asking the questions now. Perfect. Yeah, you can ask as many questions as you want, <laughs> and for the most part, it's a light and fun thing, right? It's it's uh, it's almost like it's associated to to my music or the the time the time travel brand. And really what it is, it's it's loosely based on the Galactic Federation of Planets from Star Trek. And that is uh, a time 300 or so years in the future where, let's say, uh, the human race has reached a certain level of consciousness that opens it up to the other, other planets. Because it's almost like now we don't deal with other planets because we're still too primitive. And so that's why it's the segue with uh, consciousness and, and world peace and David Lynch's TM. So it's like... 
one day we can raise our consciousness and be able to start dealing with the with the galaxy, like the whole all the other planets. So that's that's what it's essentially based on. But it's just it's just a fun thing where it could be like, okay, you're a fan of the music, you're a fan of the podcast, you're a time traveler. It's kind of like a a fun, goofy Comic Con type community. Okay, that's why I'm wearing this. You know what I mean? Like like Trekkies or or Star Wars fans or any of that stuff. Um I, I was basing it like my big inspiration, like Iron Maiden fans or Metallica fans or um who's that band in the seventies? Like the, the the Grateful Dead. Yeah. You know, it's it's just like Kiss a, Army. Kiss Army, Lady Gaga's monsters, Slipknot's yeah. maggots. <laughs> I was like, let's make the time travelers. And essentially time travel is 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 an analogy or a metaphor for for personal growth or raising your consciousness. And it's all based on, on this logo over here. And this logo, this is our subconscious mind. So this is a human, okay. two circles. So this is our, our body or our subconscious mind. That's our conscious mind. And it's about understanding that your subconscious has 90% of the control of this system that we call our, our vessel or our human body. And if you can understand that everything in our environment is an input that programs our subconscious. Once you can be aware of altering your environment to choose the program of your choice, then you can align yourself, raise your consciousness, get better perspective, and essentially have a, have a good impact on the, on the world. And it's the same principle as the, the meditation. So that other circle is the world. Yeah, that's the world. And you, once you're aligned, can be a time traveler. And that's your little rocket ship. That's what the big triangle is. And it's, Look, it can be as light or as deep as you want to go, but I've been, it's kind of, it's the summary of my learnings since I changed my lifestyle and understand. How did you come to this conclusion and this it, it shape? Was, it was years. It was years. It was something called the input theory that I was wrestling with. What it's were you like, looking for? You're looking for answers. Yeah, I was looking for answers. Like why, I always want to know why, why am I doing what I'm doing? Why am I thinking what I'm thinking? Um, why... Why everything, right? Almost like a, like a little kid just wanting to know why. And it's like, okay, what happens when I put this type of food in my body? I started realizing that if I eat, let's say, shit food three days in a row, the next three days, I want to eat shit. So I started to get to build this mechanism in my mind that says the machine wants more of what you give it. So if I eat clean for two weeks, I want to eat clean food. So I'm like, well, I'm putting it in the tank and then that tank wants more of what I'm putting in. When I'm drinking every week, I want to drink every week. That next Friday... It's like the booze alarm inside me is on. And I start to realize that food is like that. People are like that. Mm. Information is like that. So, you know, um, the social dilemma talks about like the algorithm or the, or the uh, not the, the rabbit hole, but the, the feedback loop that we create that is just reinforcing the same things. So literally this, this algorithm or this formula that the machine wants more of you give it is, is true. It's true psychologically. It's true on a, on a material uh, food, microbiome, energy kind of vibe. So the, the whole, and I was really into biohacking and, and understanding biology and really understanding how we function. And for the most part, I came up with this analogy because it's like whatever we expose ourselves to, we acclimate to and we want more of because our body on a subconscious level says, oh, this is the new safe. It's a feedback loop. And, and it's, so it's, and there's the gut-brain connection, and that the gut is communicating to the brain, essentially, okay, well, our microbiological makeup is currently set to this, and we want more of that, because that is safe. And so, yeah, obviously, I'm taking leaps here, 
this is not all like documented, proven, but there's a lot of different factions that are just starting to show that this is essentially how we function. So at the end of the day, like the, the, I think the definition of biohacking is alter your environment to alter yourself because we are species that adapt to our environments. So if we want to create something of ourselves that's different than what we are, you got to change your environment, right? You got to change the people you hang with. You got to ch change the, the stuff that you read, the stuff that you watch. And that's why when I, when I see people, let's say on the political spectrum or on the diet spectrum, like I'm keto, I'm vegan, I'm left, I'm right, whatever it is. Usually if you look at their surroundings, they are what their surroundings are. And so I always make this joke of if you take person from state Y and put them in state X within six months, they will be full state X. And the same goes back and forth. If you're not aware of your inputs and that we are a vessel and whatever we think our thoughts are, they're just the product. They're, they're motivated by our subconscious mind that has no other desire than to conform to its current reality. But if you alter that reality, you can rewire your subconscious mind. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, yeah, it makes sense. It's, so it, broad and ambitious, but did that help you kind of set yourself straight? Like, like how, how did that totally, how did understanding that make your life better? It, well, it made me understand when, when I'm feeling like shit or it made me understand uh, that my feelings are not necessarily my own or like my, my gut reactions. Uh, it taught me to decipher them and question where my motivations are coming from. It's like, I want to do this or I want to eat this. Well, why is that? And so I'm creating like a, a live filtering process where I ask a question. It's like, well, I feel like doing this, but why do I really want to do it? And it kind of helps me say, oh, okay, well, no, this is nonsense. So it helps me bring like a, a binary filtering system to my, my actions, my motivations. And I know that if I want to change a habit, the thir first three, four days, I know they say 21 days, but the first three, four days are the hardest because I know that my microbiological makeup that's used to because that's a whole ecosystem that lives within us. There's trillions of bacterial cells that are like a civilization. And it's like you go to um, a country or a city that depends on a body of water. If you remove that body of water, everything that they do has to change, right? So that's the analogy that I use with our, our system. If they're used to getting a certain type of food or a certain kind of frequency or a certain type of whatever... When you're altering that, now they have to transition. And so feelings of pain, feelings of fear, anxiety, all these things are signals telling your brain, don't do this because it's going to alter our state. It's like a mafia of biology inside that's trying to get you to remain in the status quo. And so it's, it's philosophical. I make leaps here and there, but all in all, it's a, it's a narrative that allows me to understand why I feel like the way I do. And gives me the tools to um, allow me to achieve what I want to achieve, essentially. So it's helped you? Definitely. Definitely right. helped me. That's why, that's why I'm basing it all on this. Do I explain it in depth like that? Depends on who asks me. Depends how, how much they want to get into it. But for the most part, if you like the music and you like the logo, that's as far as it needs to go. Yeah. Because if I'm making tunes that are uplifting you and you're singing lyrics that are, are planting trojan horses of positivity within you which is what i aim to do with my music then it's contributing to that so you don't even really need to know right we wear a lot of logos and brands and this and that and their core values what they stand for not everyone knows them but they're inherent in the products themselves 
So that's you just kind of disconnected those two circles. Like you, you know, you'd gotten to a point where you just, you were out of sync with yourself. Oh yeah, I was, I was totally out of sync. Cause when you were in high school, you were like playing guitar yeah. alone in your bedroom. Totally. Yeah. And I was the same way too. You know, it, it, it's, uh, it's interesting that, but then you go to the other extreme of just like being out all the time. Yeah. And I was, you, I to, was you wanted to reconnect with that. Yeah. Because, year old. because I had, we, we go into autopilot. We blindly become our environment. Like for example, let's, let's do a thought experiment with you. You went to a, let's say a high school where let's say the, the MO of the average student or the average parent who send their student there was to be a professional, uh, an engineer, a lawyer, uh, a notary, right? So you were infused into that and you can argue it, but maybe you were downloading this, like these, these ideals values. and these values within yourself. Cause we're, we're just human and we, uh, you know, in the tribal sense, we want to become our environment to to fit in, and it's and it's not like we're saying, "Oh, I want to fit in." It's like, no, no, it's like style. You don't you wear something that you think is cool, but your idea of cool is things that you've seen. It's the people that you follow. It's the people you like. You know, like your idea of cool maybe is Dave Grohl. Well, you kind of look like Dave Grohl, <laughs> right? So, I don't think he's cool. You know, I I don't think he's cool anymore. He's become like a Bruce Springsteen, like great. He's a great song. He is a great songwriter, but he's become like a caricature of himself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, like when he does... The- well, because he's been in it so long, but I'm like 95, 1995 Dave Grohl. Yeah, even even beyond then, you know, he wrote some amazing... He's an insanely good drummer. Yeah. Like really, really good of drummer. Course. But uh, but anyways. But but yeah. But, but he's an interesting case study of, yeah, you know, but, like but someone the- who's cool and soft being cool. Yeah. Well, the point being that our idea of cool or our idea of values is based on the average of what we're consuming what's coming into our inputs, what's coming into our ears and our eyes. And, and we are all vibration, right? Like you ever see that experiment where they put a bunch of metronomes and they all go in sync? No. Wow. Cool. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know if the metronomes were all, they were probably going the same BPM because they're programmed, but they were all out of sync. And within a minute or five minutes, whatever it is, they're all in sync. Like uh, women on their periods, their, their, their cycles, um, they get into line. So, so we're still we're still very primitive, but I I'm an artist, so I like to I like to look f- far. That's just the way I do the way I see it, and I like to find uh, similarities, or I like to find uh, consistencies that maybe can inform something greater. So we do really become our environment on a psychological level, on and on a biological level. That's why we become the average of our friends, right? Like yeah. look at look at your band. You guys probably all seem like a unit. It's not like you have to coordinate your outfits. You just seem to work together. Yeah, yeah, exactly. A good band, yeah, for sure. Right, because you are you are each other. And so essentially I didn't understand this and this allows me to understand why what my motivations are. It allows me to actually understand others better and not have judgment or not be upset with people. I, I think that's the key right there is once you become more aware of other people and less hung up and with your own bullshit, it's just easier to navigate. You know, people see you, they see that you're curious about them and then it's just. Exactly. Then that's why I love to ask these questions. And that's why I like to ask, you know, about parents and what led to this and what led to that, because other people interest me so much. And I, and essentially everything I'm doing is, is trying to confirm my, my theory here, my input theory that we are our environment. And it allows me, let's say someone has radically different uh, food views. 
than I do or radically different political. I don't look, I wouldn't even say I have political views, but you know what I mean? It just allows me to step outside of myself and see that, oh, this vessel downloaded that, this vessel downloaded this. I, the observer, can find common ground and make yeah. the best of this yeah. rather than trying to spit out what's in my vessel to you who's trying to spit out what's in your vessel to me. So it's allowed me to be a more peaceful, uh, calm, understanding person. Yeah. And for you, it helps encoding it in this kind of exactly. language of space-time and travel. But it's not that different from, like, say, you know, D David Lynch, who's presenting these very bizarre images that come from his own subconscious, yet millions of people can connect with it, you know? So there, it, it does go beyond his little brain and my little brain, your little brain. It's just like... Why is it that, you know, uh, a little person dancing, you know, in the in the Black Lodge resonates with so many people, you know? There's something in all of us that the, for some reason that's... Yeah, it hits and it's yeah. striking and, it's it, and iconic. it does something to our to our subconscious mind. It pierces the veil. It's very bizarre, you know? Yeah. And we don't know why and we can't articulate why. And that's once you start tapping, it's, it's hard to create that in people to, you know, to, to get that out of people with just images and... And sound, but yeah, that's why I decided to make a striking like a uh, uniform and a color scheme and this and that because it's just like that little person in the in Twin Peaks. They, uh, it's just like the little person in Twin Peaks. What it's really doing is it's it's resting in the uncanny valley. Yeah, and so he likes to put things in there that that shock your balance of normal. Your your what you're used to seeing. Like, right, it's not normal. What is a great ad? If you're scrolling through your feed, a great ad is something that makes you stop and look. And yeah. usually if it stops and looks, it has to be something that's off. Something that's, like Kanye is great with this in his music, in his visuals, in his shoes. Everything that he does, his all rests in the uncanny valley because it's inherent marketing. His product stands out because it's he's doing the David Lynch thing. Yeah. Whether he's, whether he's aware of that, which I'm very sure he is, he, he knows exactly what he's doing. But it's all connected connected to the the speaking to the subconscious mind because the conscious mind that and this is science ninety five percent is subconscious five percent of our thoughts actions motivations are conscious in nature so when they you know when they talk about free will or all that good stuff it's like it's it's yes and no mostly from our perspective it's no from the outside perspective it's yes or whatever the fuck I'm talking about <laughs> um. But understanding how we function has been the root of my pursuit of this and creating an, an artistic endeavor based on it that can be as, as shallow as you want and fun. You know, rock and roll show, there's UFOs flying around. Everyone's got a time traveler armband on. It's fun. But if you want to go deeper, it's really a message about understanding how you function and understanding others so you can see how much we have in common, yeah. which just makes more peace, right? Peace and love. Nice. And why? where do the UFOs fit into this? Um, well, I, I just like sci-fi. <laughs> That's basically it. I like sci-fi. Uh, time travel is, is an analogy of moving forward in time and raising your consciousness. So you're able to see the same world with different eyes and different perspective. So it's not time travel. Well, it's all just introspection is what you're saying. Like different oh. forms of being able to look, you know, whether temporally or spatially or whatever yeah. within and then be like. Yeah. Like I've time, you've time traveled. If you're able to, <laughs> to go to a, first of all, you were on one path, you were on, on one possible reality and then you shifted to another possible reality. In my opinion, and in the vein of all this, you are a time traveler because you, <laughs> you went from one dimension to another or one universe to a different one. 
there was one that you could have stayed on. And the reason I like all of this stuff is that like the leading minds in, in quantum physics and all that stuff talk about, they, they don't know how to, to tangibly show it, but the talk of multiple timelines and, and multiple dimensions and all these things, these are things that are mathematically proven. Yeah. Or mathematically possible. Yeah. Mathemat theoretically, yeah. mathematically possible. And so I just lean into it. Like all the comic yeah. books do. It, for me, it, it's just a lot of fun. Like I don't take it. I'm, I'm not trying to tell anyone that I'm really time traveling because yeah. that's, if you think that, then you, you've missed the point really. Yeah, it's just, it's your imagination. It's just, it's reading just, these kinds of things makes you say like, oh, this is inspires me on, on some level. And a lot of good sci-fi comes out of that and a lot of interesting ideas come out of these. Yeah, because that's why I like love things like quantum, you know, like yeah. entanglement and all that. And stuff. I and I use those things like like I don't even understand that shit. I just use it for uh, to be the sprinkle and the color. You know, it, it, in yeah. terms of the the pa the color palette I'm using, these are the colors I'm using, and I stick to those colors. So I have my body of work. Let's say is in this this spectrum. Yeah, and so it's just like less is more. I spoke to a quantum physicist once about. I wrote an article called uh, "What Is Nothing." You know, does it exist? And because if nothing exists, then it's a thing. It's not really not you know that kind of premise. I spoke to a philosopher and a uh, a uh, quantum physicist, like cosmologist type guy, and he said, "If you understand quantum physics, you don't understand quantum physics." Okay, so even the people who get it don't <laughs> yeah. get it. It like it, it's so beyond that, like anything logical, rational. Yet the numbers are like really precise. So it's an interesting. And it's an interesting jumping off point for a lot of ideas like, you know, you're talking about time travel or, you know, teleportation and, you know, all of that. Yeah. Kind of stuff. So, so I'm, I, I mix philosophy with that awesome quantum physics stuff, but it's, it's more just of, it's just a, a vibe. It's an experience. It's, Have you read anything by Jacques Vallée? Have uh, you read any of his books? No. He's got a book called Dimensions where he, he kind of he's been researching UFOs for like 50, 60 years. And, and in dimensions, he kind of lays out a new framework because at the, he was working with Heineck in the fifties and sixties. Project on, Blue Book. Yeah. Project Blue Book. And then, um, and then, you know, he became like a Silicon Valley guy, made a ton of money. So he could just independently investigate all these investigations, all of these uh, UFO sightings. And in dimensions, he kind of really lays out a new framework where it's not extraterrestrial, these physical crafts coming from other galaxies or planets or whatever. It's it's inter interdimensional phenomenon, which, like you're saying, he kind of is is permitted within the parameters of, of theoretical physics, quantum physics. So um, I think you'd really enjoy that. I have it. I'll, 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 uh, I'll give you my copy. Amazing. It's really, really good. It's super interesting. Uh, and it completely shifts. Because this is a guy, he was an astrophysicist, degree, a PhD in mathematics, I think. And he's an AI, like just a brilliant, a real actual scientist. Because there's so many hacks in, in, in that field, you know, of UFOs. And it's like, oh, it's just an actual smart guy saying, you know, some pretty far out, way more far out than they got in, you know, these aliens get in a little like metal yeah, thing. Yeah. And they, they fly well, over Because he here. can think much more deeply. And in the... In the wise words of Judge Smales from Caddyshack, <laughs> Jacques Vallée is no slouch. He is no slouch. <laughs> right? But this is great because now we can talk about Jacques Vallée because I don't know all that much about him. You interviewed him. I did interview him. So can you- Another unpublished interview, sadly. What the fuck? Because I ended up writing like 4,000 words. Because what he was saying was- Is that like a book? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a chapter, maybe. Okay. Uh, but you know, someone should write a book about Jacques Vallée, but- uh, 
Yeah, I interviewed him um, about, again, his promotional thing. Either there's a movie coming out called A Witness of Another World, which I think it's on Amazon Prime. You should really, really watch it. If you want to see what he's trying to do and apply. So it's on Amazon Prime. Yeah. A Witness of Another World. Witness of Another World. I'm pretty sure okay. that's what it's called. Um, so I ended up, I said, look, let's talk, you know, like for half hour or an hour. We ended up speaking like two, two and a half hours. He's very, very generous with Did you speak time. in French? A little bit, but he, you know, he, his English is better than mine. Like he, he was really, really, uh, getting his point across in English and, and yeah, he kind of laid it all out and I had a million questions for him, but, but, uh, yeah, he, he, you know, he was a scientist. He grew, he saw UFO when he was like 14 or 15 up in the sky in France and he was him and his father and his mother saw like a silver disc spinning <laughs> in the air in the fifties. Uh, yeah, in the, in the mid-50s in France. He was 15. And then the next day, he spoke to a kid at school, a friend of his at school, who said he saw the same thing in the same place. You know, where most 15-year-old boys would be like, oh, that's weird. But what Jacques Vallée did is he triangulated. He was able to determine the height and the location of the, the UFO by comparing where he was, where his friend was, and, you know, the where they saw the the UFO. So he was able to estimate the height and the the distance and everything. So obviously even just from a young age, interested in it, but interested in figuring out what it is empirically. And that's, you know, a a way different approach than what you're hearing. You know, most UFO talk, they start with the premise that they're coming from outer space and that they're aliens from outer space. And then they work backwards from there. Shark Fatty, you know, is doing what I think most people should do when they're looking into this is starting with the, phenomenon starting with the individual case and then using the data from that to to kind of build a larger matrix or pattern of of what it is so it's it's backwards from which is why i think you know it's such a it's so kind of dismissed the phenomenon uh because it's it's so not scientific the the approach because everyone is like you're saying, instead of taking his approach, they're seeing it and then creating their own story that has absolutely no basis in fact or science or anything. It's like, oh, they're from this place and they're from Zeta Alpha, Reticuli. Yeah, yeah, Alpha Centauri or whatever yeah. the fuck it is. And so, what did you what did you get out of it? And what's your view of UFOs? Well, it's uh, you know the my what did I get out of it? I just got like he's like 80 years old. And so sharp, so smart, and so open-minded about everything. And, you know, he was so generous and like, just so passionate about this. And he doesn't want to kind of... Well, what I like, what I got out of it was just, like, pursue whatever gets you jazzed up. You know what I mean? Like, like he's, for 65 years, has been investigating UFOs because it's interesting to him. It stimulates him intellectually. Uh, and it can it can be a great fuel for keeping you vital at a, you know in in older age um so yeah and what do i think ufos are i yeah. don't know what they are which is you know sadly most people can't you know in the field don't have the the balls to say i don't know what this is they say well it must be you know visitors from another planet like because that's just the pop culture understanding of what what this is you know the, the, that's a weird feedback loop there of how you know how UFOs are portrayed in the media and then how uh, people interpret them 
themselves when they do see it's more complicated than there's a, there's a big cultural aspect to UFOs. Like I remember speaking to a woman in England, uh, she had seen a UFO. It was about like 15 years ago. She said it came down over this like small town in England and a beam shot out of the, of a, of a disc. And then this orb came out and then a bunch of DNA helices were like floating around, you know? And and she said something really interesting. She was like, it's quite possible that that's what I saw was so far beyond my frame of reference intellectually or her own experience that your brain kind of fills in the gaps, you know, kind of like, you know, I don't know if it's true or not, but supposedly when the ships came over, the indigenous people in North, um, you know, Central America couldn't see them. I don't know if that's true, but the, the point being that if sometimes you'll see a technology or something that's just your it's so beyond your experience that you you don't know your your mind creates an image yeah because those images come from your brain right so so that your brain creates an image that you perceive and so it's it's possible that you know UFO that's a big component the the perception what well, what's going on in these these sightings is is this thing and a lot of that perception is coming from the cultural information you see it through the the filter of whatever culture you live in. Yeah, because our mind does fill in gaps. Like even right now, I'm not seeing all of you. I'm seeing most of you or a portion of you, and my mind has the ability to to fill in the gaps. Like that's a that's a real thing. That's why it's. I watched a TED talk called called uh, "Our Brain Hallucinates Our Reality," something like that, where it's not it's it's using a lot of memory to build what we have yeah. so if you're introduced to something and that goes back to the david lynch thing why our system has such a glitch almost when we see something we're not used to seeing or in a context we're not yeah. used to seeing it 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 yeah it pierces that thing so if you see a ufo and you've never seen a ufo before maybe you're going to see the flying saucer because that's the only frame of reference that you have. But is it actually that? Yeah. Do we even know? Yeah. Because, you know, in the Bible, I think it's Ezekiel 1 4, there's a, it talks about nice. wheels spinning in the, it talks about wheels spinning in the sky, a metal wheel spinning in the sky, and uh, four like angels coming out, you know, floating around. <laughs> like, it, it sounds a lot like uh, a UFO sighting. Mm-hmm. You know, it would be, uh, I think that's the Old Testament. It would be like, you know, 5,000 years old. Uh, and you know, throughout history, people have talked, you know, about seeing angels floating or uh, airships, you know, like like a like a big ship, like a boat floating in the sky. Um, and it's always kind of like the phenomenon has typically been uh, a reflection of like cutting edge technology, like one step further. You yeah. know, it, when you look at it over the course of millennia. It, you know, it's it's understood with what the, whatever the cultural baggage people have. So now it's interpreted as, you know, hypersonic, you know, or time traveling or whatever. But I think what Jacques Vallée was saying when I spoke to him was, in fact, it's whatever it is, it is just using that those cultural cues to to teach us. Like we're using the language that we have to explain yeah. what we don't know. Or it is using the language we have to, to express itself. Yeah, exactly. And to, to kind of push us forward with our, you know, that's kind of speculative, but it's a lot more interesting than... Well, speculative in the sense that... Well, to infer that, that you know, that the, there is a purpose to any of this is speculative. But it's a hell of a lot more interesting than flying saucer 
trips on phone wire in New Mexico. <laughs> you know, like like it just they have this technology, but they just crash lands. You know, because they can't navigate yeah. properly. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So the whole Roswell crash. Well, Jacques Vallée does talk about the Roswell crash. So, I think on Joe Rogan he talked about it. Yeah. yeah. So what, what's your? So you think that that? Do you think that? Do you believe that? Do you buy it? I I don't I don't. I don't like, know it that well. There's so much. It's like, was it a weather balloon? You know, because so, I mean, sometimes the, the reality is intelligence agencies or the, um, you know, the government or the military will purposely encourage, did purposely encourage UFO reports to kind of, you know, muddy all of the, the, the real technology that's out there. So it, it also benefits you know, the military industrial complex to have these stories out there because as disinformation, because that way, you know, let's say Chinese or Russian or whoever's competing with American military, uh, they don't know what's OG legit case. OG fake news. Yeah, 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 exactly. They don't know. They don't know what the, the legitimate sightings are. They don't know what the sightings are that are new technology. It just makes it impossible to kind of, Figure that out, which is why, you know, in 2017, when that um, New York Times article came out about the Tic Tacs, which was never classified, by the way, it was never top secret. It was, it was, it, you know, which would suggest that maybe there wasn't a national security threat. Uh, all of a sudden, the military puts this out. Everyone's like, well, it must be true. The Pentagon saying it's true, you know, like, well, you have to be a little more discerning than than, than just accepting that what the the government is saying is true because it reinforces, you know, the fact that you want there to be UFOs. Yeah. All of a sudden, you know, confirmation bias. Yeah, exactly. Like from the fucking military, you know, like, like, you know, you have to be even more skeptical. Okay. So, yeah. So because they, they want us to know what they want us to know. Yeah. Exactly. Essentially. Right. That's why it's disseminated. Yeah. yeah. I have this crazy theory that, uh, that all of this, all of this lockdown stuff, all of this, like every, you know, every government closing and operating in the same way, which like in the first time in history, the whole world is like operating by pretty much the same standard that it's all really just preparing us for a, uh, false UFO threat where we, the whole world. So like the goal would be like unification of the planet, which is a positive goal. But the only way to do that is through like negative reinforcement of like first, you know, Perhaps the and this is all just like a fun thought experiment. I'm this is not what I believe, but I, I like to I like to think like if I were to make a sci-fi movie, like it would be based on this. So imagine it's just like um, speeding up um, infrastructure by ten years or connectivity or all that stuff, so that when the next threat is presented, that is perhaps otherworldly or other dimensionally, this planet is like connected and can be unified as one. Oh wait, so you're saying that. It would be like a false flag kind of a, a galactic, a global oh, false flag. Boy, by the government or by by the government? Yeah, yeah, yeah. by the government. Yeah. So they're start like you know they're starting to show. They've been showing us aliens being like negative for like years and years and years, other than ET. And now they're saying there might be something here. And then and, yeah, and now they've been planting these seeds of the Tic Tac, and yeah. like all this stuff is coming out, so that they can prep us. They've been prepping us for the last seventy years, and then when it finally appears. Right when we think 2020 is going to get worse, it's like the fucking aliens yeah. come out. And what's crazy is that for a lot of people, they feel like they're at the point where like if alien, if, if a UFO flew right through the studio, it wouldn't be that weird in the context of, you know, what we've been exposed to in the media in the last year. So, uh, but it's another way to control the narrative and narrative people's minds and, 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 and the, they and don't progression know. of society. Yeah. And, you know. 
And so what people and, don't know what's happening anymore. Like it's just like what honestly, the hell is we going on? we never really know because no. the more we learn, the more we discover that we know nothing. Yeah, Jon Snow. Yeah, <laughs> like that's just that's just always how it is. But I always love to put a positive uh, spin on my own conspiracies because oftentimes conspiracy theories are always again about you know the new world order trying to trying to shut you down or trying to control you or trying to this. And I'm like, no, what if they create these like false things to actually help us because we're so stuck in our... Who's they? The government? Who's they? They in terms of what? Like... Uh, Whatever. Like they, those people who want to help us. Oh, okay. People on earth or, or are we talking about... No, no. I'm talking about people on earth. Okay, okay, okay. Talking about people, people on earth. So where were we here? Um, <laughs> so yeah, th there's a lot of they's, but I'm saying like, this is the theory, create the false alien threat or create a false, whatever, like whether it's a terrorist attack or a, or a, or a killer virus or a UFO or the communists, whatever it is, it's to create a fear that allows us to come together. Right? Like, was it Nixon? Was it Nixon that said, uh, at the, uh, it was some big assembly where he was talking. He's like, well, if there was an alien threat, that, that was come, Reagan. At okay. The it was Reagan. Yeah. We would yeah, at the UN. Yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> you know, it's a guy. It's a guy. He wasn't president. <laughs> so it, it's creating these, these negative reinforcements to bring us together. So in my conspiracy mind, it's there. They are creating these false flags, but they are for our benefit. Yeah. And that's controversial. And the problem, the thing is, you can't prove it one way or another. Right? Well, I like, know like, that's why I'm just and, and, making it up. Yeah, exactly. And you know, it's I not find, the truth. I, I find myself, you know, getting like caught up in these possibilities. But that's why you have to be able to back away from a lot of the conspiracy stuff because, like, it's so interesting and it's like it's such a uh, a different way of looking at reality. You know, it's almost like taking shrooms. You know, it's like everything looks completely different when you start buying into these things, but there's no end to it, right? Because anything that contradicts it is part of the conspiracy. So like you just get lost in like yeah. all of this stuff. So, but it is, you know, if you're open-minded, you know, sometimes you end up, you know, just exploring this possibility intellectually that, you know, maybe this yeah, is what UFOs are, you know, maybe they do exist. Maybe it is aliens. Like, but yeah, like we, we don't know anything. Right. Yeah. So I just like to create narratives for myself that are empowering. So like yeah. if you, if all these people are obsessed with conspiracy theories, if it's not helping their lives be better, it's a waste of time, in my opinion. Yeah, because I think it tends to have the opposite effect. It's it just, always has people's it. lives are so you know they're just like trying to make it more exciting. Oh yeah, but so by they're out to get us, like yeah, the government. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then and then it's just everyone around them is like you're out of your fucking mind. Yeah, and then, and then so yeah, that's not good. Yeah, yeah so, and that's I feel like most of the time it goes in that fear kind of direction. Well, because it's easy. Someone sees a YouTube video where uh, most where they're presented with new information because they don't really do any other research than that, and they're like, oh well, this is obviously the reality. And it's like, no, no, this is this is something that gets a lot of views because it's in that uncanny valley and it's interesting and we want to believe. Yeah. In the wise words of Fox Mulder, <laughs> you know, I want to believe. But I like to go on thought experiments. Yeah. I, by no means am I saying this is it because, like I said, we know nothing. Is it like ninety nine percent of everything is is dark matter? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Eighty in that nothing article. We yeah, went yeah. into dark matter. Yeah. So, so it's it's essentially lot, the yeah. idea of like we don't even know what nothing is and everything is nothing. You know, so yeah. And they, they just came up with dark matter to just because they know there's like some kind of 
material so some kind of thing that's there and there's like okay we'll call it dark matter yeah maybe it's cool. this, the, the glue in between that connects us all like yeah. who, who really we, like we don't yeah. know but it's it's fun to uh pontificate yes right and that's all i am i just i just want to pontificate because anyone who says that they know what it is that's when it's okay i'm gonna have fun here because if someone's saying they know absolutely it means they're they're full of shit so it's like you know ancient aliens vibes yeah i love ancient aliens but I, I don't take it as gospel, right? Yeah, no, it's just a fun story, you know? It's a fun story. Yeah. And, and create- I went to a UFO. I met that guy from uh, Ancient Aliens, uh, George... Uh, Sukalos. <laughs> he spoke to me only in French. <laughs> and he's Swiss, right? Yeah, well, yeah, he had a crazy eye because, yeah, exactly. He's Swiss. And I said, hey, how are you? I said, I'm from Montreal. He said, oh, was that Québécois? And then I go, yeah, it's really cool to meet you. I like your show. He's like, mais tu sais, j'aime Montréal. And he wouldn't break <laughs> like character. He, like, he was just so committed to speaking to me only in French. Well, he's a committed guy. Yeah. Yeah, he's the hairstyle was was was, was fully Brown there. suit? I think, no, we were in the desert. So he had like... um. Short sleeve, yeah, like a suit. short sleeve, like like, like a archaeologist shirt, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah, like yeah, exactly. Man I mean, on the scene, that's what he does, you know. Yeah, it's his. That's his yeah, vibe. That's his thing. I was at the, um, what was it called? Contact in the desert. It was a big UFO. Uh, and so, what brought you there? Well, Jacques Vallée told me about it <laughs> while I was working on this thing. Amazing. And and, and total. You're so cool, by the way. Shush. Um, and I was total. Co- this was like um, it was in uh, what's it called. So, uh, something fall. It was in. It was near Palm Springs, and I was going with Bob. We were in LA. Bob, Bob goes the tether it, it, that connects it all. Exactly, exactly. Because he goes, I want you to come to the sobriety conference in the La Quinta, which is outside of uh, Palm Springs. So we booked a trip for La Quinta. Then I'm talking to Jacques Valley. He goes, Oh, he goes. They're screening the movie Witness of Another World at Contact in the Desert. Uh, you should check it out. So, so I look at the dates, and it's the same time I was in La Quinta, five minute five minutes away from this sobriety conference I was at with Bob was this UFO conference. So it just worked out totally. I spent a full day at the uh, UFO conference talking to uh, all the it was for an article. You know, I pitched it to an editor, and uh, uh, he was into it. And I spoke to like you know the the men and women who fly from across the country to go Let's listen to this, yeah. yeah i met uh i met uh well um the guy you know fire in the sky i can't remember his name walter the guy who was abducted by the aliens on the canoe trip and he reappeared in town like two or three days later no i don't know him the movie fire in the sky from the 90s no i don't know it no okay well he's a, like it's a really famous abduction case okay and we were in this conference and he's talking about uh you know what happened to him and people are like asking like, do the aliens have four fingers or five fingers? And you can tell he's just like, oh, fuck these people. Like, like that's so not an interesting question. I know, but it's uh, hard to make a dollar out there. So. Yeah, it is. And you got you to gotta do the circuit. Of yeah, it. But, yeah. but then I remember asking You got to put him, in the work. Yeah. And I remember asking him, did, the, did, the, did it affect your spiritual beliefs? You know? Because I was just trying to throw him a bone. He was just like, he was like gasping for air with all these crazy questions. And he was like, that's a really interesting question. And then he went into like kind of the spiritual implications of like, if this happened, how could this happen? You know, his own Christian beliefs and all that. And, the, you know, and what Valio was telling me was that this affects people on, on a way deeper level than just, I saw a thing floating in the sky. It makes you, it changes your whole belief system. And that could be, you know, Valio 
speculates that it, it, that that could be the purpose of of these things. And if you talk to the people, you know, like I have who 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 have witnessed, you you leave out the like, well, you know, what shape was it? How many lights were there? How many fingers did the aliens? Have? And you just talk to them purely about the impact it's had on their life. You get way more interesting answers um, then, about then, what it could potentially be. You know, it's just you have to be open-minded and you have to be empathetic. And you, 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 who cares how fast it was going or triangulating? Just talk, talk. And if if you know anyone who's seen UFO, just talk to them about that. And you get way more interesting answers than like I saw. You know, a cigar shape bouncing around in the sky. That's cool, but like, but it doesn't shed a lot of light on what it could be other than the thing in the sky. But when you talk to to witnesses and people who claim to have been abducted. And you ask them about psychologically what it does to them, and you get it. It's a completely different phenomenon. I find that so interesting because it's it's almost uh, to them and their experience. It's a proof that there's more, right? Yeah, it's it's innately or essentially proof that there's something beyond what we know. And that's a lot of times when people with psychedelics, right? They 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 see something that gives them a profound. Um, new perspective of the world that they inhabit and spirituality or religion or UFOs or mushroom trips, whatever the narrative that you believe is, if it's one that, that gives you some kind of faith or some kind of sense of hope, it, whatever the, the formula, whatever the variables are, the formula remains the same. And if you think of something that empowers you, there's a, there's a neuro chemical effect on your brain, your body, that actually improves your, your, your state of being. It, like, it's, it's essentially gratitude, right? Because any, any kind of faith, it's out of frame, don't worry. Any, any kind of faith kind of gives you, allows you to find the silver lining. And when you find the silver lining, you are creating a narrative. You don't know if that silver lining is true, but if you choose to believe it, like actually really lean into like this happened, like, you know, we're talking about our path and our past. If we choose to believe it like that, that is going to de-stress our system. It's going to give us a positive feeling. It's going to increase our immune system and it's going to give us a more positive outlook on life in general. So for that's, that's what I, I love about, about this stuff is that it, Whatever your and that's why I'm empathetic to different belief systems because whatever you believe, if it's actually having a positive benefit on you and making you more grateful, uh, who am I to say that the the material layer of what you're saying is bullshit? Like, what are all the underlying yeah. things? And have, it's all the same thing. Everyone's just saying the same thing. Yeah. Have you found community from it? Have you found more yeah. meaning? Have you have you do you have faith in something greater than you that you're not in this alone? Like, these are all consistent threads that are in any uh, great, great, well, movement or community or religion or belief system or whatever it is, it's those underlying things. And we're very literal. We're very literal beings, which is why I, I, I attribute to our still primitive state. But if you can see, it's like being the observer and finding the things that connect us. If you can, if you can do that, then you can, you're, you'll be much more empowered. Yeah. Yeah, because you realize it's all everyone's in the same boat and trying to figure. Yeah, shit but out. if you're but if you're if you're stuck on the literal things, then you're that's that's for the twi that's for yeah. Twitter and YouTube comments. Yeah. You know, like the people who who get triggered by taking things out of context. Yeah. Like these are people who clearly don't get it and just want to to make noise. Yeah, 
Yeah, for the sake of making noise. I thought it's just boring. Yeah, like we, we could be talking about something. Well, it's it's not. Uh, that's not the real meaning of quantum entanglement. Well, then you you haven't really <laughs> got understood the breadth of what we're talking about. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. Like, which is fine. Which yeah, which is which is totally fine. Yeah, but yeah. the the literal nature of of the human mind is is just goofy. Yeah, it is. It is. But what well, you know. Whatever, like I just filter. Yeah, and and that's something that I have, and someone who doesn't get it, I I actually understand why they don't get it. Yeah. So I'm 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 no longer like mad at anyone. I don't get mad at anyone. It's a lot easier to go. Oh my god! Like right? Even if the the whatever led me to feeling to to not being mad at anyone, even if all of that is completely scientifically wrong, the end result is that I'm not mad at anyone. (laughs) Yeah. So what's better? So who gives a shit? Yeah, it's a good way of looking at it. You know? Yeah. Like, who cares if you're right or wrong? The, what really matters is... Am I a better person? Yeah. Am I better to my yeah. environment? Yeah. Am I nicer to my mom? Yeah. Well, if I am, who the f- who the fuck think... If I think I can walk through walls and yeah. that's that's the source of my yeah. power, I don't care. Yeah, a lot of people would rather be right than, than be happy, you know? And it's just so much easier to... Yeah, uh, and that's just a low state of consciousness, in my <laughs> yeah. opinion. That's not a time traveler. That's, a, that's an NPC. <laughs> what does that mean? A non-player uh, character. Wow. Oh, so in a game like you know when you're like you're like you're playing Vice City and then there's these like like there's like a random guy in a tracksuit walking down the street and you can punch him in the face. Yeah, he bumps into you and swears him. Yeah, but that, so it's like there's also like NPC theory that is everyone at a real character in this in this you, simulation. You, you should know? start a cult. Ah, fuck no! You I don't want to start, start a cult. Yeah. Why? Because you the branding's good, the ideas are interesting. I know, but you're charismatic. St- but to start a cult, you actually. Like the whole thing, what I've been saying in the last 10 minutes is that I have no idea if anything I'm saying is scientifically proven or true. Doesn't matter if you have a cult. Yeah, but I, <laughs> you, but to have a cult, you have to, I think you have to be like, you have to have narcissistic Oh, but yeah, that's very true. You know, yeah. like you, you have to like want to make people believe that you are the one who knows. And yeah. the big, huge thing of what I'm saying is that I really don't know anything. That could be your cult, though. You could be the guy the good who doesn't cult. know what he's doing, you know? Yeah, because it's essentially... <laughs> I, I can start a cult, but if if I, like, maybe in some other, like, bizarro dimension, but I, I don't I don't have that. Like, I don't want people to rely on me. They have a commune in Rigo. Yeah, no, man, I'm not fucking interested. <laughs> I'm not interested. I like dressing like I'm in a cult. You know, I like having a uniform, but maybe that's because I went to private school and I don't want to waste my decision making on what it's the good. fuck. Having a uniform is good. You know, you don't have to think about what you. I like, love it's it. Just you're almost always wearing all black, right? Yeah, a lot. I wear I wear a lot of black. It's just easier, you know. Like I don't yeah, like. Don't like have to I, wear, I have like three things of clothing that I wear, and it's. Uh, yeah, it's not like you're gonna go get a radical new haircut. Like your haircut is is part of your uniform, your brand. Yeah. Same. I'm not gonna get some quaff, right? Well, <laughs> I can't. Right? You had great hair, though. You you had like a bit of a pompadour at one point. Yeah, I look like a jerk. <laughs> I look like a fucking jerk. How much work went into the pompadour? Not much. No? Not much. It was, uh, there was a method. There was a method? Yeah, yeah. I'd get out of like, the shower. Like, I guess I'd dry it and then I'd... Because I don't think, I think my hair's too thin. I don't think I'd be able to do a pompadour. Yeah, my hair was mega thin. Was it? Yeah. So how did you get it like that? Hairspray. Okay, so you, you do the... A lot of hairspray. Okay. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of hairspray. And then it got to the point where I like, my hair was just thinning out so hard that 
Like shaved, it looks like I have more hair than I do. Yeah, because it looks like if it were to grow in, you'd have like a gourd downy kind of like yeah, thing. the strip, yeah. you know, yeah. like it's better on one side than the other. But when it grows out, it's re- it's really sad. <laughs> Every time I see a newborn baby, I'm like, oh, we have the same haircut. So it's more thinning than than like no I, lack of hair. It's just very thin hair. Uh, no, it's a combination of that. It's I had thin hair to start. And so, like, the coverage is good, but, yeah, the hair is thin. Yeah, okay. Like, it doesn't cover that much of my head. Yeah. So, there's a lot of space in between. Is there a lot of dark that- matter on my head. <laughs> a lot of dark matter on this anti-matter, skull. Yeah. yeah, anti-matter on this skull. Is is there anything worse than a guy who has the really thin hair and just is, like, fighting oh, fuck, I talk about the this nail? all the time. Yeah, and, like- and, and then they... And I was talking about this with the legendary Donnie Dekis yesterday. Um, we... We call it the the hyper fade. <laughs> Typically when someone has like no hair or they're really like clinging on for life, they get this like hyper fade quaff where it's like super faded on the side and this to make it somewhat appear like there's more on top because yeah. they faded so much around. Like no one can tell. You're not what, fucking no fooling one, anyone, man. <laughs> like no one can see what they're up to. All they're telling me really is that they they are out of touch with reality. Yeah. That they think they're getting away with something. <laughs> it's just sad. It's like guys with comb overs. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I remember being a kid and being at church with my grandmother and seeing this guy in front of me with this like insane and like he can, he's doing it from the front. He doesn't see the 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 disgrace that's going on in the back. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like you see like this lacquered glue on his head with like a two inch space from the back that he missed. And it's just a fucking sad but, thing. Is it desperation or is it narcissism? It's like a weird mix of like it's like the denial. Mon- it's den- it's denial, and I think that like that that echoes in every aspect of your life. Yeah, it how may- you treat your hair is you know how you treat your every, everything, everything yeah. and everyone. You're you're just not honest. You're a fucking liar. I let it flow. Yeah, you just you, you got to do what you can with what you got. Uh, when I started to sober up, I, I realized that my my routine in the morning was ridiculous to do my hair. I was like, this fucking sucks. <laughs> So I went to my barber. I'm like, this might be our last haircut, my friend. Oh, wow. And he buzzed me. Not too short. Like, well, pretty short than what I was used to. And then I was like, you know what? I went home and I did it even more. I went all the way. And that was that. Yeah. And I embraced myself and I felt free and liberated. Because what it says to me is like, this is a person who makes, who, who takes action, who makes decisions. Yeah. It's... Uh, you, you, you did the inventory. You crunched the numbers. I crunched the numbers. And what was the conclusion? It's got to go. It's got to go, right? It's got to go. It's got to go. It's it's time and it's time it's time to move on. Like yeah. sometimes you got to hang the towel. That's just what it is. And someone who isn't is just essentially saying that in life they don't do what is necessary. Yeah. They let things hang on. They don't set boundaries. Yeah. They, you know, they cling on to the No, but I mean I think it's an interesting kind of <laughs> Yeah, it it honestly Wait, your haircut will tell me everything about you. Yeah. It just uh and I hate to be so superficial, but there's some truth to that for for sure. Well, yeah, it it it's just it's just that's that's my take Is on. Is that it. something maybe like um like from your dad? You learned how to like size people up quickly, you know, like things like picking up on on cues like that. Because I feel like he was good at that. Yeah, like like you you sell well, stuff. You have like you you have to just be able to size someone up immediately, and, and so you can and, play ball with them, right? And, so you can and be put the pitch in their language. Exactly. And, and that's why, maybe that's why this, this whole time travel thing is 
because I had to learn, I had to learn how to explain things to a certain person, right? Like depending on who I'm talking to on the given day, I have to be able to sell or explain a certain concept in words that they can understand. And if I was talking to engineers, I had to use very scientific kind of words. If I was speaking to, you know, uh, my friend Cobra Rick in Newfoundland, <laughs> better to explain it after we've both had eight rums, you know? Yeah. So you just have to gauge that. And the more people you meet, the more, because you want to make a peaceful interaction out of everything. And that's like, my dad met so many people and was constantly on the road that he, I guess his, uh, his neural net and the, the, the volume of inputs that he was getting just gave him a better view just based on, on volume. Yeah. Cause he really knew how to like, yeah. And I think he, you have that innately or you Yeah. Don't. Cause you, you do for sure. Like he, when you were, you know, traveling salesman, it was, uh, but it's so, I mean, it's so much more valuable than what you're going to learn in university, you know, like the, what you're learning sitting across from someone, uh, you know, and it, it just transfers, like you were saying with learning how to run a business logistically and whatever carried over into the creative stuff. So does figuring out how to read people totally. and the best way to talk to them. Yeah. Because know, in a, in a real, you know, in a genuine way for sure. But like also, you know, it's sincere, but you're just trying to figure out how to. Oh, it's always sincere yeah. because the, the, the goal is always to have a positive outcome, right? So if I'm going to go into a Midwestern home and spew non-Midwestern views and try to make a peaceful interaction out of that, that's a fail. That's why whenever I, I see uh, kind of extreme, extreme viewed people posting things and saying, oh, this person's absolutely wrong or they're stupid or the left is dumb or the right is this. It's like, have you really gone out, spoken to people before out of your community? Yeah. Have you been in anywhere else in, in a different part of your state or province or a different part of the world to see that, you know what, the people that you think are so dumb um, are, are really just like you? Yeah. So it when I see, when I see people who are like all angry and uppity, it just shows me a real lack of life experience and empathy. Well, you can't have the empathy yeah. if if you haven't had the 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 volume, the incoming, or or the diversity. Right, a yeah. lack of diversity on your diet for your gut makes your your system and your immune system weaker. A lack of diversity in the content that you watch keeps you in a feedback loop, and the lack of diversity with people is the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's the same thing, like, you know, I'm working on a documentary now about organized crime, and it's, um, you know, you're, you're talking to some pretty intense people sometimes, you know, who, you know, aren't always forthcoming with information. But if you can connect with them and be like, look, I'm not going to judge you if you tell me something, uh, you know, let's just have a normal conversation. You know, the, a big part of that is, you know, figuring out what's the best way to approach this person to just make them feel like, it's all good. It's safe. I'm not going to, I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to use this information in a, you know, this is to paint you in a negative light. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We just want to get the story across, you know, and this is what, you know, in, in the most accurate way possible. That's your job, but my job. And then, and, and so it, there's a whole thing and like that knowledge you wouldn't learn in journalism. So you learn that by just being a fucking guy, you know, you talk to people, if you're curious about people, you're going to genuinely curious about people. It doesn't matter. You know, if if it's a, someone who saw a UFO or a gangster or like a movie director, it's all the same thing. It's just like 
I can learn something from this person. And will you please teach this to me? And then yeah, like, I want to learn from you. Yeah. Because you have something that I, I want to learn from that I want to understand. And the more understanding you have, the more empathy you can have. And if you go in with the if you go in with the mindset that you really don't know, like I don't I don't just say this to be cute that I don't know, because I don't. That's why I can't lean into really anything. That's why I've chosen art because I don't know there's no absolute truth. We have limited bandwidth to to like our brains have limited bandwidth. To understand absolute truth, you would have to be have to take in all information and decipher it. Yeah. All information, everything. And that's impossible. So I go in with it always knowing that I don't know. And so I don't carry baggage that that would limit my interaction, right? Yeah. I'm not coming in thinking that, oh, yeah, you want to go in loose. Yeah. And and it's like a, a loose lifestyle. Yeah. Like I could just talk to anyone. I don't talk to someone who's like getting drunk and judge them and be like, yo, um, maybe you shouldn't be living like that. That's not it's not good for your gut biome. It's not my it's not my yeah. fucking business. Like whatever experiences have, have led you here and whatever you're doing are clearly doing this has more pros than cons at this moment in time. Yeah. I, I have no I have no judgment. Yeah, exactly. I don't because know. People shut down and yeah, it's like good. it's like open, man. I don't know. I don't know. That's why I just want to. I want to learn. Yeah, and that's. I think this this will work if you have that approach of just like, what can I learn from people, and curious about, and you know, yeah. There's a lot of interview shows. You know, it, it, it's it's not easy to interview someone like uh you know and get what you want out of them in a way that's not like manipulative. So. Yeah. And I uh, really, the format that I've been using is just ask questions about the people. Yeah. And like, people love talking about themselves. Yeah, I like talking about myself. Like, yeah. yeah. I, I want to learn about you. Like you're, you're doing really cool stuff. You're a really nice guy. I want, I want to learn how you tick. Yeah. I want to learn why you tick. Why I talk. Yeah. Tick. Well, it's thick, tick, you know, <laughs> Oh. you know how that is. Wow. <laughs> so earlier in the, um, when we were outside the fifth dimension, you were discussing the Jack Valet did not want to discuss uh, element. Yeah, no. Let, okay. Yeah. Let. Uh, All right. Perfect. Yeah, well, yeah. look. Look. No problem. Uh. Yeah, but yeah. No. Ask me about. Uh, <laughs> you can cut this, right? Well, no. There's no cutting it straight through, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't matter. So look, I'll, I'll just wrap that up without saying any names. Yeah. So you mentioned to me earlier that you were talking to a, sp- a specific person, and in a. Th- Similar well, space. Yeah, I guess. I mean, look. Yeah, the, we, I, I remember asking Jacques Vallée about Bob Lazar. Is yeah. that what you're going to ask me? Yeah, yeah. No, no. I was. I, I guess was, it's fine. I guess it's not a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Is Jacques Vallée not going to take your call after he watches no, this? No, 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 no. Well, he can explain why he doesn't want to talk about. Yeah. It. And if you don't want to, then well, that's he fine. didn't. He didn't elaborate. He yeah. just didn't want to talk about it. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Okay. So, because maybe in his opinion, it kind of like stained his work, maybe or. Um. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. But, uh, you know, if you're asking me, uh, you know, what do I think about Bob Lazar? You know, is that where you're going with that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, that, that was a red, you know, when, when certain respected people in that, in the UFO community, you know, don't know, you know, refuse to talk about someone like Bob Lazar, that's kind of a red flag, you know? What do you think about Bob Lazar? So it's a red flag for the person who doesn't want to talk to them or a red flag for Bob Lazar? For Bob Lazar, yeah, because he's because Jacques Vallée is really respected, right? Uh, yeah, we're yeah, getting there. Yeah. Any any of these guys who are like in in let's say the fringes, on a mainstream level, maybe are are seen as a little kooky. But 
within the community and within the scientific realm or whatever it is, he seems respected. Um, yeah, of course, of course. And Bob Lazar, the bottom line is like he's never really proven anything that he's saying, right? Has he? Because um, the burden's on him to prove. Yeah. Well, there was a cool documentary. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but it didn't answer a lot of questions. Yeah. Well, there were look, there were a couple of things in there like this, like hand size, like machine that he yeah. talked about 25 years ago or whatever it was. Yeah, but then there's a, there's a sci-fi movie from the 70s that has that machine in it. Really? Yeah, and a couple of other things in that movie that, like, that it seems like Lazar, you know, possibly could have seen those things in a movie. Yeah, like, I have no real reading on it. Obviously, I want to believe. That's yeah. that's that's my, my baseline, is I want to believe. But, uh, I don't know, he seems, every time he talks, he seems pretty, like, nervous. Or he seems pretty like Bob Lazar. Yeah, yeah he's got a, it, like he seems very stressed when he talks. Yeah, always very stressed. Yeah, <laughs> like stressed and almost like annoyed. I mean, the whole thing is like, oh well, you know, he's claimed he went to MIT and there's no record of him there. Well, it's not on. It shouldn't be on other people to prove a negative. Like he can't. He doesn't have like a photo lying around of him. Yeah, you know, and he's, he, hanging he out claims that he doesn't make money from it. So what? What was the point? I don't know. I don't know. But but just because, you know, there's no motive. I mean, maybe fame. Like, I don't know. Like, like who knows what motivates people? But but in terms of just, like, evidence of... And it's like, oh, well, you know, there is proof of him working at the Los Alamos or whatever. Okay, maybe there is. But that doesn't mean that he worked on a UFO at S4 or whatever. You know, like, just because one part of his story checks out doesn't mean the whole thing is true right yeah and furthermore like why can't he just he didn't keep any transcripts like he's becoming an engineer with this background and he didn't keep one transcript or one photo or one anything like it's just that to me is like a massive red flag with uh and it's pretty crazy what he's saying like you you know to accept all of that was he saying he's saying that like he worked on he reverse engineered ufos and discovered an element called element 115 yeah and that's what they use to zip around, uh, something like that. Like yeah, then saw, he saw, then he saw a little being. But I think he retracted. Then that. Then he retracted that. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, I'm just entertained by this all. That's why I love conspiracies or I love fringe stuff because to me, it's uh, it's fiction. It's just fun fiction that I like to watch. I don't really take too much credence into it. I just, yeah. I just, it's like fan fiction and yeah, that's, and, and, and that's and, how I, that's how I yeah, see it. And that's great. And if people are as intellectually honest as you are about it, then, then good for them. You know, like it is a legit, it's, it's like a weird kind of like new other form of entertaining yourself. That's kind of half based in reality and half not, but you know, a lot of people just live and die by these. Uh, yeah. And these to, yeah. And that's, that's on either side, you know, oh, of yeah. course, of course. Like to to say that none of this exists absolutely is is just as insane, right? Because yeah, exactly. Because we don't because we don't know. Yeah, we're we're just we're just a young species that's learning and evolving, and we'll probably be cybernetic soon enough. Yeah, yeah. Which is fun to think about. I I love thinking about this stuff. I mean, maybe the UFOs are some kind of manifestation of like a really advanced artificial intelligence. Absolutely, yeah. and and you know. Now, when you said they, like I said, uh, we think like they're out to get us, that they want to set up the new world or they, and you ask they, like, imagine they is not the government. And maybe it's just like the, 
the consciousness cloud that we're all uploading to. And yeah. it, that's just guiding us. That's, that's a feedback loop of everything that we do. Because everything that we build in technology is like the same as how the, the structure of, of, of natural evolution functions. The way our systems work, the way our cars work, or the way we work, you know, you put fuel in, there's like the, the, the crap comes out of the back. You know, everything is, is the same. Everything is almost a, um, there's a beautiful word in mathematics to discuss like something that's made of smaller pieces of the same thing, fractal. Yeah. So like everything is fractal, everything. And so for me, I, I don't have any um, attachment to any, any outcome or any reality. I just have so much fun looking at everything and trying to piece it together and seeing some similarities and, and creating my own fun little universe. Cause like, yeah. you know, I want to write comic books and make fiction books and, and do, are you, are you working towards that? Yeah, totally. Totally. Well, I, I want to make this. What kind of, what kind of, well, you ever see the feed that I do on, uh, in my stories on Instagram? Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. The feed, yeah, yeah. With like Leslie Nielsen and, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So who are the main characters? Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Okay, he's like the Jean-Luc Picard. <laughs> okay, uh, Susie Q, which is a uh, like a dominatrix, like fifties uh, um, diner waitress. Diner waitress, yeah, with an agenda. Uh, the Borg. <laughs> okay, for the, the Borg is from Star Trek. Star Trek, okay. yeah, and they operate. They're they're a race that is like essentially a future version of us that has all become cybernetic, and they're they're a hive, and they all function. They're all connected. And they 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 just digest other ecosystems and and make them the Borg. Yeah, the Borg like will go into a, a planet or a solar system or whatever it is and just like terraform it and make them all cybernetic and they become part of the collective and that's how they keep increasing their. their okay, so they're like the antagonists in, the, in this universe. Yes, their universal band culture universe you've created exactly. And so essentially, they're just like a big company that just acquires other companies. Oh, okay. <laughs> And uh, so that's the board. But then there's like secondary. Yeah. Like Norm is a secondary (laughs) guy who's always uplifting. There's a, there's Herman Munster. Yeah. Who's who's a a version of young Donnie Dekius. My brother's in there. Who's usually telling me that what I'm doing. Manager. Yeah. He's, he's like my shady manager who tells me that I'm not, (laughs) that I'm doing things that are ridiculous that are not helping my brand and I'm only going to be losing followers. (laughs) So that's the kind of stuff. So it's, it's like, uh, it's almost like a introspective, thing where it's like these all represent my different voices in my head and they're, they're all going on simultaneously and i just dress them up as usually in pop culture characters so i, I don't know exactly what the format's going to be but now that i'm building this fifth dimension and the galactic federation of time travelers like it, it could be a fictional thing and something that i do is oftentimes i've heard that people don't know when i'm kidding or when i'm serious like i kind of like skate in the middle all the time and i would just lean into that yeah like norm Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like that character, that Bob Dylan character that he created, like is is Misho the fifth dimension guy? Yeah. Is he a real guy? Is he a kook? Yeah. Yeah. You play with that. Have fun with it. Yeah. You know, and like- I, I just want to have fun. Like I don't want to make a, a book on how to be healthier because I don't know. Yeah. Like and, and, and I'm too lazy to like <laughs> read 180 scientific yeah. uh, and even, peer review. And even the people who do read 180 peer uh, peer reviewed uh, journals or articles, they they have different views than other people who read a different 180 yeah. ones you yeah. know like why would i want to get in that yeah. mess <laughs> exactly i'd rather make a fucking comic book or a fun book that 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 makes the viewer uh interact with it yeah not to sound patronizing but i think that could be good 
like I think for like younger, you know, like teens and stuff would be interested in in some sort of universe like that, you know? Yeah, where they're like perhaps pop culture because it seems like the fans of your music don't you have like like in the ukraine well or- at the beginning it was ukraine and i didn't know why <laughs> it was because like i just let like the ads go on like the cheapest <laughs> and it just optimized for ukraine but i've realized since then that like there i have fans oh. in the states and in south america south america's big because they, the they age range um 16 to 24 16 to 24 interesting yeah yeah and that's like who would be into a graphic novel or totally comic book or whatever exactly so you're gonna build. You're gonna, uh, and I'm just gonna build on that because, like, it's fun. It's consistent. I talked about this in my podcast with uh, in the last podcast was the the idea of compounding interest. Like, let's say I release a new song, and every time the new song has a different look or sound or aesthetic or visuals, and it's different every time. I feel like I'm starting from scratch every time. Whereas if I have this brand and this tracksuit, maybe the colors will change. Maybe there'll be new characters introduced, but it's it's compounding on itself yeah. and building a certain momentum, you know? Yeah. Like the main factor with compound interest is time though, right? So that's really the yeah. the thing that you have to really time, commit like, to this and and uh, it, yeah, allow it to it's, unfold over like yeah, it's, it's, five years. Honestly, it's all long game stuff. Uh, this podcast is long game. Uh, my music, touring, uh, the books, whatever it is. I just want to be consistently putting out stuff that is in the same realm or like a familiar realm. Cause this fifth dimension stuff could be a graphic novel. It could be an album. It could be this podcast. It could be whatever, right? As long as I'm just con- consistently doing it, who knows where it's going to lead? Who knows who, who I'm going to call or who's going to come on the podcast or what tour I might get on? Who knows? But all I know is that if I just keep going in a way that's sustainable, that's fun, that feels good. I don't, I can't really see far, far much further than that. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, exactly. So why why get caught up in that? But you, you you're gonna you're committed to this. Yeah, for because, a long time. Like, well, because it really, I only just put this out. Like the visuals of it, I only put it out in the last eight months. Yeah, because there was Omic. Yeah, but the reason I, the problem with Omic was first of all, I didn't know I was gonna make music again for real. I just went to the studio, uh, met these producers, started recording songs, and I just put it under this thing called Omic. Because Omic was a, a name or a, a saying that my brother would say that would be walking down the street and a pretty girl would walk by. And my brother would go, oh, Mick! And like, <laughs> look at me. And she would turn around and I'd be all red because he'd make me laugh. And so I just said, okay, let's call the project Omic as a placeholder. But the more books I read about branding and the more, because I, I love reading stuff. Like when I stopped getting drunk, I just started reading. So I guess I uh, changed my... Uh, my poison. I picked a better poison. And the music, the problem, like the music, I was writing, you know, good songs. But the problem was that my true personality was not shining through. I just look like a standard, you know, black jean, jean jacket wearing dude with a white t-shirt and a backwards hat. And this whole uh, introspective thought process, the whole questioning reality and trying to see what we all have in common, all that stuff is, is my real self. Like when I'm in the studio with my producers, this is what we talk about. And this is for years and years and years. So I just put a, a wrapping on my music or on my products that I make that are just have this sheen that represents what I'm about. And so it's easier for people who are in the vibe to identify with it. Like someone who likes the Power Rangers and maybe likes Weezer, I'll, I'll stand out to them sooner. Like they'll, they'll get what I'm about sooner 
than if I just look like a run of the mill standard guy. It, it just, it just saves a lot of steps. It saves a lot of explaining and people who are not interested in this at all will never even waste their time. Yeah. Right. It's not like they're going to start maybe listening to my music if it works. And then I start talking about this shit. Like, this guy's fucking nuts. Fuck that shit. Cause right out of the gate, I'm saying this is who I am. Yeah. And it's it just in terms of branding, you're, you're best to, to say who you are and be bold about it because that's what the greats did. That's what kiss did. That's what maiden did. That's what, well, they created personas, yeah. They created personas, and they they were. It's not really who they are. It's like this insane, like exaggeration of part of who they are. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like it stemmed from something, and they created something that pierces, that pierces through. That just makes sense. It, it makes sense that they have fun leaning. The same into. way the little guy from Twin Peaks makes sense. As bizarre as it is, you know, like there's, there's and like Kiss, uh, I mean, I hate Kiss, but like you, you have to respect their, uh, you know, what they've done on, you know, the trademarking and copywriting and, you know, the brand that they built, you know, even just the font is pretty yeah. cool, you know, like they really. It's iconic. Now yeah. even like ACDC and Metallica, you know how many t-shirts they sell at like uh, H&M? Yeah. James Hetfield designed the, uh, the logo. He studied graphic design in really? like university, uh, in like some like community college or something and he designed the you know like the the like iconic like 3d master of puppets it's amazing logo yeah which I, is so it's such a cool logo it's such an amazing logo and now people wear that t-shirt every day who don't know what metallica yeah. is oh it's transcended metal obviously it's a- exactly years, yeah. and that was kind of in the background of my mind too because i come from a business background i get excited about building products, yeah. about about selling stuff, like physical I, things. Physical things. I really like that. So I build this logo. I build this thing. Is that is that merch one day and and toys and whatever? Who knows? If it, is it t-shirts that? Because like I explained to you the deep meaning of that logo. But if that logo is just on a t-shirt and looks cool, and some kid wants to buy yeah. them all, you think I care? Yeah, because shit. Yeah. Who give? Wow. Oh, I think that's a dog in the in the hallway. <laughs> wow, this mic picks up everything. Yeah, well, the the walls are paper thin here. Wow. Uh, so as soon as we get our first uh, our smoke show check, you know, from uh, from all the orders that are coming in, then I'll, I'll get a I'll be able to insulate the walls a little we're better. We're both just waiting on that check. Yeah, yeah, we're both just waiting, but it's looking good. Best year ever, Dave Rose. Let's go, Dave Rose. Away, let's go, let's go, Jared too. Away. Yeah. So how you you're in a first of all, you're a fantastic guitar player. And when I say fantastic, you are a shredder. You've got feel. You got soul. No, you're amazing. <laughs> I'm I used not to, a shredder though. I've never like you know. Done, no, like, you can shred. Per, no, not not okay. Not Ingve. So yeah. maybe you're you're not a uh, uh, was it uh, what's it Gilbert Tom Gilbert or uh, uh, what's his name Paul Gilbert Paul Gilbert. Okay, maybe you're not Paul Gilbert. <laughs> no, <I'm> not. <laughs> but you have feel. You have soul. Like you can like slash kind of stuff. Like slash. Like is that is that more pentatonic? Your, yeah. 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 Okay. So I used to hear legends of you. Before I met you, <laughs> I'm not kidding. Years before I met you, there was this guy named John LaBerge that oh, I played yeah. hockey with for years. And he'd come over sometimes, you know, with the other hockey friends, and I'd be playing some power chords, you know, playing some Green Day, some real unimpressive stuff. <laughs> and he'd say, Oh, man, there's this guy. His name is Nick Rose, and he's fucking amazing, bro. Yo, he can shred solos. I know shred is to a guitar player, it means something different to uh, a 14 year old John LaBerge. Yeah. But this guy's just mm. fucking amazing. Like one day you got to meet him. And for years I was hearing about this motherfucker named Nick Rhodes that every time I picked up a guitar, someone had to tell me about Nick Rhodes. And then boom, 
I met Nick Rose. It was it was in the and cards. Put him on base. Um, yeah, and I put him on base. <laughs> teach him what he's all about. Um, that's crazy. I didn't know that uh, John LaBerge, uh, you knew John. Yeah, it's Wick. Was he at Wick? No, no, he was at my school. hockey. Yeah, hockey. Okay, uh, that's it. yeah, he was a defenseman, and uh, we played on the same hockey teams for like years. Yeah, for like at least five, yeah. six years. He lived near Arell's place. Yeah, 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 on uh, Monte Vista. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, or no, no, no. Well, I don't know if we should no. say the names, but <laughs> but like, but no, I I because I, I used to have a girlfriend that lived next door to him. Oh wow! Yeah, what was her name? Jesse. Okay, well, I feel like we shouldn't get too much into like. Yeah, what's her address? <laughs> but yeah, no. Um, and then it was Mike Banjoni who had Abbott. You were you had a class with him? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he had this weird Palm Pilot. He was playing these crazy elaborate games. So you're like, I gotta, you, I gotta meet this Nick Rose guy. Oh well, yeah, and you this become, gunslinger. you become friends, and you know when you go to a new school, and you don't fucking know anyone. You, you, the guy in class that you sit next to, you'll go sit next to him in the cafeteria, yeah, and that's yeah. probably where I met you. Yeah, he probably wasn't on a mission to introduce us, but it just, it just happened. Yeah, it just happened. I think 15, 15 years ago. Yeah, which is really cool that it's, uh, you know, I'm here now. I know. Driving that fucking. Tank. Your car is amazing. My 1988 car, 560 SEL Mercedes. Papu's car. Papu is grandfather it, in Greek. And Misha's grandfather uh, had the, this car, Saddam Hussein's car, basically. And uh, yeah, I, I it was bequeathed upon me by the Moneros brothers. Yeah, and it was bequeathed upon me when, like, when my grandfather passed away, I guess in 08, my dad got it. Then when my dad passed away, I got it. And then I sold it to you. Yeah. And I try every day to honor Papu. Um, you know, it was in the shop recently. It's I was driving the other day. I was like on the highway, and there there was smoke. But the the cabin was filling up with with smoke, and not like vapors, like like thick. Like I couldn't breathe. I had to put the windows down. Um, but yeah, you know, <clears throat> what happened? The gaskets were so dry because I think it sat. For a little while, right? It, it didn't move. It sat for years. It sat for years, yeah. So that dried out, you know, the I got the tires changed. Um, it, it dried out the gas. The gaskets, the mechanic told me, it was just like breaking in his hands. Like it was. Because they need fluid to yeah. to remain moist. Exactly. When a car sits, you know, whatever. Everything dries but, up but, I mean, and craps out. Sometimes I will, you know, it was so, it's such a cool fucking car. And uh, it's very and LA. It, is it? Yeah. No, no, not the car. But you in the car is very early because I noticed that in LA, a lot of people are characters and they have a uniform, they yeah. have an outfit and their car matches. And Shout you see this- Becky Hearn. Becky Hearn's got a cool Mercedes. Oh yeah. Very, very cool. Um, like a 50s, 60s yeah. one? Uh, 70s. Very cool. Yeah. Like the generation before uh, Nice. Um, but that, that they look significantly more old school, right? Oh yeah. Because yeah, yeah. it still looks like they're doing something 80s modern with the, 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 the 560. It's like- it's like what a German guy in the 80s thought looked cool and modern. Yeah. It's such a cool car. Very Soviet looking. Yeah, I know. It's, it's Whatever kind of, that means. Well, no, it's like a brutalist kind of design where it's like just very straight lines and, uh, you know, everything's very functional and sturdy and hard and uh, it drives. And now it's back on the road. You know, it's in storage now, but I got it back on the road. It was driving beautifully. And, uh, you know, sometimes I walk back to my car sometimes and I forget like that I have this car. Every time I see it, because sometimes I see it in the parking lot of this building, or I'll see it around St. Henry or whatever, and I'm like, wow, that is that thing has a presence. Uh, yeah. That, and that's the trade-off of driving an, a 30-plus-year-old car, Yeah, right? Is that you're going to have to... Yeah. You, you, there's going to be some love 
Yeah, exactly. That's required to keep that baby going. But even that, it's kind of fun. You know, you meet all these crazy mechanic types. It's super like uh, the guy who fixed the curse's lip and he's got, he had is his, his name, Mike. His name, you know, his name is Jean Georges. Oh, and that's he, an epic name. I walked into his his office and he had his, he had his <laughs> feet up on the desk like this and he was smoking a cigarette inside the office where there's like, you know, all these fluid, you know, explosive fluids, but he didn't really, uh, he didn't really care. And he did a really, really good job. So he's my. Like a mechanic uh, shop there? Yeah, yeah. What mechanic didn't smoke like up yeah. to like five years ago? Yeah, like like, like he, in the in the like, shop. Like he's gonna change that habit because the law changed. You know, the guys, the guy came over from Lebanon. You know, it's a cult, You know, it's a place where people smoke a lot. And uh, he's gonna come to my office, and he was just so I lit one up too. It was, but you know, so you meet all these weird characters. Well, you know, when you, not weird. Like all these no, cool they're, characters. They're characters. Yeah. Straight so, out of a movie. And that's what's fun about the... And yeah, it breaks down, but you learn about cars too. You learn about certain things. And I mean, I'm lucky that, you know, the the, the the Mercedes back then were so well built and they're so it's, so... it's such a sturdy, reliable car that, you know, it's a minimal amount. It's not like I'm, you know, a thousand bucks here, a thousand bucks there. It's, you know, it's usually pretty minimal stuff, but... Uh, the guy it keeps from, you on your toes. It does. It keeps and, you honest. It's good, it's good to be on your toes. You're driving, you're, you're more alert. It's just... You're like, oh... Oh, the, the the blowout valve is uh, rusted. Yeah. I can feel it. Yeah. Or whatever the fuck, you, you know? And you start, you have to be kind of tuned into that, you know? Because if you're on the highway, like, and things feeling a little off, like, it, it's good to, it just heightens everything, which is cool. But, you know, it's, uh, sometimes I, I walk back to my car, I'm like, holy shit, that's my fucking car, you know? It's like, so fucking cool. Yeah. And it's that, beyond cool. So, uh, yeah, it's just a real gift. And uh, it was the star of the uh, music video, The Machine. Yes, the yes. Where you were the star, but the car was the, the star. The car was the well. real star. Yeah, there was I, a lot I of smoke the, in that I, car. I was the prop. The car was the uh, the star. Yeah, there was, I smoked like eighty five cigarettes that day. It was crazy. Yeah, but we it, it's pretty cool. You five pound put together a pretty cool video. Amazing. And, uh, it's an amazing music video. It's yeah. called The Machine. It's uh, it was so much fun to do, and that machine, the machine was the analogy of, of this that I'm talking about because, the thing was you were driving, kind of like Satan driving the car, and I was trapped in the back seat, right, hallucinating or whatever it is. Yeah, and that's the that's the analogy or the metaphor of being the passenger, in your own car, or like your uncle Bob says, the yeah. the tail wagging the dog. Yeah. So it's it's always connected to that world, but see that was old Mick back then. And it's, it's almost, there's so many layers of metaphor that you can't, you don't really know. So I'm just being more upfront about yeah. it. Yeah. But well, it was, that, that was a lot of video. fun recording that video. Uh, so there was a lot of cigarette smoke that day. I got to ask you, because you know, your dad and your, your grandfather had all these, you know, there, there was a, there's a pretty impressive stable. Yeah. The one I always, you know, there's all these hyper exotics. I always thought the coolest one, cause I'm a hipster fuck face. was the Mercedes, you know, the 88 but there was also like, you know, the F40. The, that, that's what I wanted. What's it like driving a Ferrari F40? It's crazy. Yeah. It was, uh, it's very stressful. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. It's stressful because there's no traction control on an F40, right? No. And, and the sheer value of it. Mm. Uh, yeah. The value, the, um, you know, you, if something happens, like you'll be heartbroken because it's, it's, it's a museum piece. You shouldn't be driving that on the road. Uh, it, it ripped. It didn't honestly feel that fast. Really? No. Did it? And like, but I didn't, I didn't, I didn't really rip okay. it because it was like, a, it's like a 2.7. It wasn't a big engine, right? It was like a turbocharged. It was under three liters. Yeah. Is it a turbocharged V6? I don't even know. Yeah. I don't know how many, uh, I think it was a, I think it was a 2.7 liter V8. If I'm not mistaken, a small V8, but, uh, 
But like, yeah, it was definitely it, not a V6. It was, I mean, you bring it on the roads in in Quebec, like it must have been. Yeah, I never drove it far. I literally just drove it around uh, around the old uh, the old warehouse, like on okay. the service road. Yeah, yeah, on yeah, the yeah. highway a little bit. I never really, I never really drove it. It's like too, it's like too precious. It's it's too precious, man. It was. It, was... it even had the the chromed out uh, fire extinguisher in the middle. Yeah, I remember sitting in it because your dad, yeah. your dad had it in the office. In, in his office, in it, he had that that, and I can't remember the other car, but he had like two Ferraris in the office, which was like, yeah, he was he was living I, his dream. Yeah, man. yeah, no, totally, totally. Yeah, that was such a cool office because he had at one point he had five cars in there. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and it looked his, like it and looked, his desk. Like, yeah, and his desk. <laughs> it looked like a. Uh, it looked like the like. The exotic used car salesman's office that you would go to in like Scarborough, Ontario, <laughs> you know, like that's, or that's what it looked like. Like if you walked into the building and you went into his office, you thought he sold cars. Yeah. Okay. Cause it was always like super tight inventory. <laughs> Everything's in the room. And then you go in the back and we're making garage door openers. Like what the fuck? But you know, that's how you get the cars in the, in the, in the office is with the garage door openers. So it, it was coherent it all made sense yeah, it, it, it all worked it was very, very linear <laughs> very motor you know there were motors on everything there were a lot did of motors have, did you have a favorite one from that era of like the you know i think there's a dito maso like were there any of those that you thought was like i always the loved, coolest one i always loved the 96 porsche turbo mm. that was a classic car the 993 yeah 993 yeah. oftentimes people say oh yeah it was like the bad boys one and i say no it wasn't yeah. the bad boys one was earlier model yeah it was yeah, like a, a 964 yeah it was a yeah. 93 or 94 yeah turbo yeah, but the nine nine six turbo was the nine nine three turbo was the first, uh, like smoothed out looking futuristic car, and that was the same era that the the F three five five Ferrari came out. Never had like my dad never had one of those, but I always loved that car, and one day I will get it. That's the car that that's in the Rock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, the it's one. in Goldeneye. There's Is it a, in Goldeneye? Yeah, at the beginning, oh. there's a there's a there's a a, a I guess it's kind of a chase slash mountain with the top. Russian girl. Yeah, with the Russian okay. girl, and she's in the red F three five five GTS, and he's in the old Aston. Oh, nice! And they're just ripping. Wow! So I always love those cars, but I don't with the, the teeth that, with the the roof. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a cool one. Yeah, and so the other cars that are the SL sixty five Black Series was always cool. <laughs> I drove that one a lot. You, you. I remember going for uh, you taking me in the turbo once. For like a little, and it was crazy fast. It was it was a you know pretty old car, but like it had this like analog. It wasn't like digit, you know. A lot of these more modern hypercars is just like everything's a computer. Yeah. But the nine nine three, just even as a passenger, felt like glunk. Like it was just like yeah. Maybe that was my and- poor shifting, but <laughs> that it was just. Fast. But no, it sound it sound it had a very mechanical sound to it. Yeah, and the engine behind, like it felt like it was pushing you forward. You know, like it was a really yeah, you weren't being pulled. No, it's true. Being pushed, it was a it was a really intense. Uh, that was a cool car too. Yeah, yeah. so that car was cool. The um, Testarossa was cool. Five twelve M. Oh wow, yeah, one of those. Yeah, it's what cool else? that you because you know most ninety nine percent of people will never you know yeah. have the chance to drive these these cars and you know push it to the limit. Totally. Yeah. Well, I I never pushed these cars. I did uh, push the. The 512M Testarossa. Really? It was wow. Grand Prix weekend with my dad, <laughs> and we all took the cars uh, into the city to do some like little showing. Like there's all the Ferrari yeah, club yeah, yeah, was yeah. there and stuff. And we were driving back. We had gotten off to carry, and we're getting back on the 40. And uh, my brother was in the 
I don't know what he was in, but my dad was in the F40 and I passed my dad in the 512M and I downshifted to really give it and flames came like <laughs> shooting out of, like just exploded wow. out when I took off and it fucked something up with the car and the exhaust and the engine, like it was all fucked up after. But uh, it was a hell of a downshift. Wow. It was it was fucking, Flames. Crazy. Like flames, like what three color, feet of flames. What color was it? Red. Red, Ferrari red or yeah, like, okay. Ferrari red. Wow. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Know, yeah, yeah. Is it Rosso Scuderia? Is that the color? <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I just thought it was called the Ferrari red. Yeah, that's what that's what it is. Rosso Scuderia sounds yeah, like there's Rosso Dino, there's Rosso I think Oh, there's different reds? Yeah, yeah. There's all kinds know. of Rosso's. All <laughs> kinds of Rosso's. Come on, bro. <laughs> I think this is one Ferrari only has one shade of Rosso. Where have you been? <laughs> I don't get the uh, pamphlets. Have yeah. you not lived? <laughs> I, I feel like you would know the colors. Yeah, like, like you're the, the color, kind of, like a zero six four? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like uh Modena blue. Yeah, you yeah. know? <laughs> That's the cool thing about guitars is that you learn a lot about different, you know, Lake Placid Woods. Blue, yeah, like Candy uh, Apple Red, like yeah. paint colors is a, it's an interesting. Uh, yeah. And it's, my brother knows all the paint, official paint color names of all kinds of cars. Wow. So he knows it makes me laugh because the, the his knowledge of that is very interesting to me and fun. So he'll say, oh, uh, he'll be like, uh, I don't know. I can't, it doesn't even come to mind right now, but he'll be like, uh, oh, Aspen Blue. <laughs> I love that new Aspen Blue, but he knows them all, and it's, uh, it's well. You probably know them too from guitar, right? Because like, yeah, but they're different because, yeah. like BMW has their names, Ferrari has their names, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mercedes has their names, yeah, yeah. It, so Candy Apple Red is not just Candy Apple Red, yeah. like there's no Mercedes with uh, Rosso Dino, yeah, okay, obviously, yeah. you know what I mean? What about Piano Black? Piano Black. Have you ever seen? The, yeah, 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 I have it's, the it's interior cr- of like a BMW. You can get be a Piano Black. Yeah, it's a great color. And is that a guitar name too? I think I think I think John Mayer's signature because he's John Mayer. He he insisted that if he painted piano black, so he wanted his guitar to be piano black. Yeah, he's a funny guy. Yeah, I, I like the his gold hardware. Yeah, he's an amazing guitar player, huh? He's so good. If he just like you know, if he just what? What's your what's your pointers for him? Well, oh yeah, okay. <laughs> what's John, your pointers for John Mayer? Okay, John Mayer. I think uh, you know if he just focused. On the stuff he was doing in a trio was so he just proved that he was an undeniable guitar player, and then he backed off, which is kind of its own little power move. Like, hey, if I wanted to do this, I could, but you're just getting because like, he does lean into it to his live performances. Like, he always adds that sizzle and yeah. that flair, yeah, that SRV. I feel like there's a lot more there, you know. Yeah, but it's and selfishly, I want I want to hear more of that. Of course, what he has to offer with that. You know, maybe that's great that he keeps you wanting more. Yeah, well, it's smart. It's it's he. I and, think he's really smart at like his image, like managing his image. And look, like, what he, he is he putting out. Is, I saw him do stand up with Dave Chappelle. Like you know, that was like how was that? that? It was all right. It, I mean, you, you know, it's hard to share a stage with Dave Chappelle. Oh no, shit! Stand up comedy, but uh, stand up comedy is hard enough. Then you got to share. The it was stage. at the Bell Center too, which is a bad. Not a good place for to see a comedy show, especially in uh, a young comic, like a, yeah, 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 and barely, you know, like like a green comic. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, he he knows how to perform in front of a lot of people, but when you don't have your guitar to back you up, it's a whole different thing. Yeah, like me performing live without a guitar is so fucked. Do you ever like with the there band? Was, there, yeah, there was only one song. There was one song on a few shows. That yeah, it's was, like a safety net. Uh, the guitar. Yeah, well, it's like my identity. It's part of the thing. Yeah. You know, when you see a guy who plays guitar and he removes it when he sings, it's not the same. Yeah. It's like either, it's watching either, Mick Jagger and he plays guitar in a song and it just completely changes the whole. It's like, well, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I get that. Or when James Hetfield, when he blew up his arm in Montreal, and he did the rest of the tour with like just a cast on, and a, you know, it was weird seeing these guys without the without that kind of prop. Yeah, because you're just used to seeing it. Yeah. But hey, he burnt his hair, right? He burnt his whole arm. Was that at the Guns N' Roses show? Yeah, at the at the uh, Olympic uh, Stadium. Yeah. Because it was like magnesium that blew up. And magnesium burns at like 3,000 degrees. So Where the like fuck was magnesium? Uh-huh. In the fireworks. That's what they used to like oh, blow up anything. fireworks. And the, his skin was bubbling, he said. But it, like, like two days later, I don't think they missed like a single show. Like like he had a cast on and he was singing with a cast on. Oh. Master! Master! <laughs> <laughs> I fucking love Metallica. I love how much fun they seem to have when they're playing live. Yeah, like still them, they don't take themselves too seriously. Like you can argue Lars maybe does, but I don't think so. Like I think they really lean into like they're a metal band, like a thrash metal band, but with punk rock DNA. Yeah, and songwriting. I mean, they've they're pretty far removed from thrash. You know, like they've really they took it to another place. Yeah, well, their their later stuff, their more recent stuff is more thrashy. Yeah, that's true. Death Magnetic was really good. It's amazing. I love that album. Oh, I was in university at that time, and I remember seeing Death Magnetic on like all the bus stops and street <laughs> yeah. signs. Like, what a crazy name for an album, Death Magnetic. <laughs> awesome. What does that mean, you know? It's up to you I, to yeah, decide, exactly. my friend. <laughs> so rock and roll, you're in a band. Yeah. Talk about your band. Technicolor Dreamers, all I'm, the way from LaSalle, Quebec. I love the name. Do you? Technicolor Dreamers is a beautiful name. It's a mouthful. It's a mouthful. It's good for SEO though. Like when you search, if you Google Technicolor Dreamers, you get like all of our stuff right away. So that's. Uh, oh yeah. Well, you, if you're Technicolor or just Dreamers, yeah. I don't know. Together. But te- I, I think Technicolor Dreamers is is cool. Why have you received? No, it's an it's it, it's like an ongoing. It's always been a conversation within the band of like uh, it's a long name and like I I don't know. I when I showed up, I was originally a keyboard player. Tell that to Josh, homie. Yeah, that's true. It's, a mouthful too that's a good queens point. of the stone age yeah yeah that's a that's a wacky band name when you think about it. then it just becomes a cool thing so you stop thinking about the actual name right because it just becomes the music and the shows or whatever yeah and you don't really care about the dumb intentionally kind of dumb name yeah because maybe you you think about it too much but when i see technicolor dreamers i'm like that's an awesome name yeah okay cool um but yeah so uh how did, yeah. that, how did that come to be Get a little closer to the mic. Yeah, so uh, that was that was uh, about two years ago. I never really, you know, we were in a. I was, I think we played like one or two shows yeah, at yeah. Hudson Community Center basement. Um, but after that, like you know, I've really focused on school. I never properly, you know, been in a band proper. So uh, some Massimo, who works at Clark in Point St. Charles, uh, where I'm at on a pretty much on a daily basis, he uh, he was in he's in Technicolor Dreamers and. They needed a keyboard player to do like synth stuff. So I said, okay, fine. You know, it's not like my first choice, but let's let's do that. Let's try it out. So we tried it out. And then eventually I moved over to drums, you know, and uh my hostile takeover. It was it, yeah, it was a leverage buyout of the uh of the drummer and uh it it was just very Dave Grohl of you. Yeah, it, it was <laughs> it, it just what was the best thing for the the songs, you know? It just it totally. flowed it flowed really, really well. And I love playing drums. It's still not, you know, guitar is my main thing, but drums are funner to play live. They're funner to play in the studio. It's just, and you're like in full control of the tempo and the, the dynamics. That is really appealing. So once I got on the drums and it really started happening and then, you know, Mass is just always pumping out songs and, you know, 
for Christmas. Uh, we recorded um, uh, Paul McCartney's "Wonderful Christmas Time," which oh. is a wild song. It's so. good. Have you looked at the? Have you ever l- tried to learn like the chord progression? No, I've never tried to learn it, but it it definitely sounds so quirky. Yeah, it's wild. If you look at it, like at the, at so. The in chord, terms of chord progressions, what what's weird about it? It's um, there's a lot of like you know. Uh, major sevenths and like these weird like add nine jazz chords but i don't want to get too technical but like when you look at what the the notes that the melody is doing over these chord progressions it's like fully jazz like semitone like you know the 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 vocal melody is like a semitone off from the actual chord Chord. it's like it, it it's super dissonant but he, but it's McCartney, so it just works, and it sounds super natural. Like it, it, it sounds flows. like a pop song. Yeah, it sounds like a pop song, but it's pretty far from being a pop song. But, it, but it's pretty uh, advanced um, harmonically. Yeah, yeah, advanced Crazy. songwriting or theoretically, it's it's advanced. Yeah, yeah, and the arrangement is really weird. It, it just it sounds like a jingle almost for like a you know like a coffee commercial or something. But that's the genius of Paul McCartney. He makes these kind of more complicated things sound very accessible. Uh, but That's, the arrangement is really weird too. On top of just the chords being really weird. So is yeah. it is it easy to play as a unit? Like uh, in terms no, of groove? No, it's not because it's it, it's you know, it's like dun dun Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So we had to figure out a way to kind of make it because there's no. I don't think there's any real drums on the track. I think he was experimenting a lot with like synth and moogs and all that stuff. So it's it's the the drums are like barely there. So but with you know it was a cool opportunity to kind of approach it like full on you know and what does your version uh feel like i'd say it, it sounds kind of like the strokes so is more, the who, more more bass yeah more drums yeah and the drums are kind of crazy you know uh, like, like a crazy a lot, ringo? Lot of fills yeah yeah the crazy did ringo. you lean in did you did you embrace your inner ringo yeah even my, though he's not the, part of that but you no know, my inner keith moon you know like the, okay, big, the cool. fills and like the just uh yeah just kind of like it's a festive kind of songs so it's just kind of Okay, so is it, it's going to be released at Christmas? Uh, yeah, yeah, but like hopefully like a week before before Christmas. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, uh, and you know we're we're putting an EP together of like original songs, um, and that's coming together really nicely too. So it's Amazing. cool. And when, finally, when, can the, when can the world expect that to come out? I have no idea. I don't know. I don't know yet when the when that's going to be. I think it early. 2021 cool and i'm always interested on how like people release stuff so is there is there a plan is it just like a yeah we're trying to figure that out because we're realizing just like the stakes involved with like you know you put out a single first you put them all out together do you wait and do lp and i I don't know like yeah because i'm i don't think anyone knows that like it's just so weird right now to like you know get a song out there yeah because all i all i know is if it's if it's an album i just look at what everyone else is doing like the gorillas just released something and Damon Albarn was on all the YouTube podcasts or the YouTube shows or the, like my whole YouTube feed was filled with him. And then when McConaughey released his book, he was on everything as well. So it's like, well, how do you get access to not, not saying variety or Joe Rogan, but publicity now is in terms of, it's like getting in front of the right podcasts or the right YouTube channel or the right. Yeah. Right. And I have no idea. And oh, I'm, I'm, le- I'm this, learning too. Yeah. yeah, and I'm just approaching this the same way I approach everything else, which is you know, let's see where it goes. Yeah, do like, it with yeah. it gets to it. Yeah, yeah exactly. And uh, and you can't, you know, you can't even play shows right now, which sucks, and which is the main revenue stream for most artists, anyways. So it's it's weird, and it's just like 
putting it out into like a vacuum, you know, like a, like an echo chamber or something. Yeah. It's like, here, here you go. So you think this will shift people in terms of, because it's what you're doing. Essentially what I'm doing is that I was in a business. I, I sold it. I have other ventures going on and my art is something that I can not, I don't need to necessarily depend on revenue in the moment. Um, you have other things going on and you, you have your band and it's like, maybe music will become more, not more pure, but people can be releasing music as not as a hobby, but I don't know. I don't know the point I'm trying to get at here, but it's like, you can do multiple things. You can be a journalist. You can be a writer. You can be in a band. You can do all these things. And then you could just see how it goes and where it goes. Whereas before it's like, I'm only in a band. Yeah. Where it's tough for that now. If like if the world is closed, there's no touring, there's no this. You can't just be a band if that's your only source of revenue. So you got to get creative. You got to diversify that portfolio of yours. Yeah. So you're diversified. I'm pretty diversified. Yeah. So, so maybe it's 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 a nice thing that it allows us to not be stressed out about anything or not over. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm lucky where I can make a living, you know, off of the journalism and the writing and all that stuff and you know still be creative in other ways and you know i'm not making a lot of money but it's all good like it's not my goal so uh and then it just gives me all my free time i can put into other because i'm not working 70 hours a week you know and the though even the work i do do is not nine to five and it's not it's really enjoyable it's not even work like so it's, it's about doing enjoyable things and just uh yeah, figuring out a way to get paid. Everyone's got to make a buck. You yeah, know? Like, exactly. So, you, so And everyone has a different set of circumstances, a different set of skills, a different set of everything. Yeah, so figure it's, out what that is. And, so it's up to us to figure out how yeah. we fit in the environment yeah. and how we can offer the ecosystem something that gives us back something. Yeah, yeah. It's, it just create value, you know, and so people want to pay you for what you for like. For the doing. value <laughs> that you bring to the table. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really it. Yeah. So, so technical or dreamers. I love that. How, do you guys... I see you, how often do you rehearse? Uh, twice a week. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. That's you know, it. That's great. Yeah, discipline. And we do, like, you know, the good thing with COVID and all the quarantine and all that is, it, you know, we've been able to practice and focus just on rehearsing. So really, really tightening up as a group and writing a lot of songs and like really like a lot, you know, a lot of songs. So it's it's all been really good this period. I mean, luckily, again, you know, a lot of people are like, can't make money right now, but I'm as a freelancer doing okay. And, uh, you know, it's, it's allowed me to just engage in way more like creative things and not distracted by going out, going to restaurants, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. There's a lot less distractions. I do miss some of them. That's for sure. But for the most part, it keeps me, keeps me on my game. Yeah. It will take, you know, the 15, 16 year old in his room with his guitar, you know, like you can forget about that person but this has kind of forced everyone to reconnect with with that yeah. yeah get them to ask questions that maybe their situation was not making very clear to them yeah exactly exactly cuz I, I so many people are like why am i doing this like uh, you know why why did i go to an office from 9 to 5 for so long you know why uh am i even doing this job like it's just like it's making it's forcing people to ask like really fundamental questions which is great yeah, which is always great. So yeah. it's a, it's a great, it's whatever your, 
your views on the whole thing is it's it's definitely going to be a year of growth because there's so much yeah. learning happening. Well, growth, you know, as long as you still, you know, there's a lot of people struggling to, you know, make ends meet for sure. So, you know, assuming they're not, you know, in survival mode and there's a lot of people in survival mode. Yes. Uh, then yeah, it's an opportunity. You know, if you have the privilege to take a, a, a step back and be like, what the, what, the, what the hell am I doing? Yeah. Then it, it, it's great. But it's 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 bad out there, man. Yeah. It's like restaurants and bars and everything. It's uh it's uh it's it's been really it's rough. really tough yeah it's really tough but even even that even when when it's really bad let's say your restaurant had to close you have no choice but to start doing something yeah and so i'm seeing people getting creative and people starting new things that they otherwise wouldn't have started yeah so because like i i've said this before in different other podcasts but when like we live in a pretty safe place like let's say our city our you know north america for the most part uh, your average, you know, middle class, whatever, it's pretty safe. You never, you're never gonna really lose everything, anything. You're never really gonna get pushed to the limits. But when something like this happens, it's an opportunity to see what you're made of, and oftentimes you realize that you have a lot more in you than you even knew. Yeah. And only when true. you're presented with a situation where you have to prove yourself for survival, you will thrive. Yeah, that's true. So that's the way. That's the way I like to look at it, and I'm, I'm like, yeah, I have, it's a lot of discomfort, but. Yeah, but that's it's that's potential what it, growth. Yeah, yeah, and so that's that's I always like to find that that silver lining. But yeah, of course, people are there are some people who are just fucking suffering, and there's yeah. nothing they can do. No, and so not taking anywhere, sending them peace and love and uh, good vibes because, and hopefully the ecosystem can can help them out. You know. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, what else? What else have you learned from this uh, this great uh, this gr- great 2020? Uh. It's great well, odd I mean, year yeah, that no, is 2020. It's an odd year. Well, you know, make sh- it's important to, you know, make sure everything's in its right place at all times because if something hits like that, you know, and you know whether it's financially, personally or whatever, you want to make sure you're okay. You, you can absorb that kind of unforeseen circumstances. Whether it means, you know, being in the right relationships or, you know, work-wise, personally, whatever, you know, cuz things don't just always go really smoothly. So uh, I've been lucky. I've been like super, super busy lately, but uh, it's because, you know, I was, I, I've i been trying to manage things, uh, you know, since getting sober, you know, it's just so much easier to, to manage your life and put place everything where it needs to be placed and get rid of stuff that you don't need that it, uh, you know, when unforeseen things do happen, it's not like, whoa, where did that come from? Yeah. You know? Even something as weird as uh, being forced to lock down, you know. So, how has uh, the relationship uh, been handling the lockdown? Great, great. I, Do you I, live together? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, we, we live together, and it's uh, it's like you know, there's like try, you know when the lockdown's happening. You know, I think a lot of people realize they were dating crazy people. You know, in like March or April, like oh my god, what 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 did I what have I done? But I wasn't lucky. It was the opposite effect for me. It was just. It, it was a team and it, we handled it really well and super supportive and uh, amazing. Yeah. yeah. That's and as a photographer, like, so, you know, it, it was tougher on her than it was on me because she's nothing to take pictures of, but you, yeah. Who wants to, who wants to, no yeah, one's buying that. I don't that. know if you pay very well, yeah. but, <laughs> but uh, it was a, it was great. Like it was actually a positive period. So, so yeah, I was very lucky. It was throughout all of that with work and with, you know, other stuff. It, it was good. 
it was like a positive thing, you know. I reconnected with, you know, my emo 16-year-old, you know, who was like really serious about one thing. I love it. Yeah. I love it, Nick Rose. Yeah. We're Nick Rose. I think we're I think we're getting to that place, you know. I really have to pee. So do I. So bad. God damn. So I think we'll wrap this up then. All right. So Nick Rose, where can people find you? Where can people uh, find the Technicolor Dreamers? Technicolor Dreamers on Instagram. Uh I'm on Twitter at Nicolas Chocolat. Okay. I don't really po- I don't really post stuff on social media though, but uh okay. That's uh, that's where I'm at, and uh, yeah, I got, I'll post some yeah, links. A bunch in the description. of uh, Vice articles I wrote. If you want to read about UFOs or whatever, so um, so yeah, amazing. Yeah, Nick Rose, thank you so much for being on the Michelle podcast thank here you. in the Fifth Dimension. Thank you, Michelle. It's nice here in the Fifth Dimension. You're a beautiful yeah. soul. Oh, and I, and I love you very much. Oh. Yeah, I appreciate it. And um, now that we're we're uh, plugging stuff, we're going to talk about our greatest sponsor, Smoke Show Sauce. Yes. So go to smokeshowsauce.com, promo code MISHO, M-I-S-C-H-O, and you will get, uh, I think, 15% off, 10 to 15. That's what Dave said. He said 10 10 to 15. I guess it depends on the week. So uh, you'll get a (laughs) smokeshowsauce.com. Zadie's Smoked Salmon, go uh, uh, smokesalmonmontreal.com, promo code MISHO15. Salmon Daddy. Salmon Daddy. Well, you know, I, I want to rep all the beautiful characters that I know. And this is just, you know, it's fun and ge- fun and games. You know, we're just fucking around here. Um, what else? Well, my name is Misho. I'm your host. I make it a music. You can find me on uh, Instagram at Misho or on YouTube, Misho. Um, and Christmas in Space is out now. But when this airs, it'll be probably after Christmas. So uh, it'll probably be useless. But I do have an album coming or an EP. Not sure yet. But that'll be coming in the uh, first quarter of 2021 uh, re-record going rogue with guitars and oh yeah time? but i don't want to i don't like those lyrics anymore <laughs> yeah, they're pretty wild it was a good song though anyways yeah pre-game silver valley lodge <laughs> call the cab straight to the club say what up play our song blah 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 blah. well all right well on that note <coughs> on that note fellow time travelers it's been a slice thank you very much for hanging out nick rose Thanks, you're, you're an absolute beauty and we're gonna a little outro music you know a little spaced out off the upcoming album that we don't know what it's called yet. <laughs>